Apparently, we are live. Cheers, everybody, and welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I got a little bit of a weird feedback from YouTube on the uh, streaming end, but it looks like we are officially live now, so I'm going to go ahead and pass it first to our first panelist, Spartan Grown. Welcome back. Hey, Jack. Cheers, everybody. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces, and nothing after Spartan Grown, <laughs> including spaces. Uh, or just you can shoot me an email at gm uh, spartangrown at gmail.com or if you're interested in lighting led lighting you can shoot me an email at russ at gmlarmy.com and i'll try to help you out glad to have you back and uh, i just blocked one of those spartan grown knockoffs because they were just copying directly your posts so i was being tagged in them because it's like i'm growing velvet punch f2 from jack greenstock and then i was like spartan grown underscore and i looked at all the things and i was like this is not the real spartan grown and he says every week that you know i'm just spartan grown i don't have any other accounts so i reported that account and uh, hopefully it's no longer in existence oh, but I've instagram was it like multiple times and i just get a thing back from instagram saying they're not breaking any rules <laughs> yeah that's what i was told too and they're like ah, we're just gonna let it keep going but somehow people like uh, our buddy Brandon Rust have his page get knocked down, but thankfully brought back up quite often. So I'll pass it next to Brandon Rust. What's going on, everybody? Brandon Rust here. Uh, if you're not following along, you can follow me on Instagram at rust.brandon. Check out all of the new blog posts on the Bokashi Earthworks website. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. We're happy to have you back, and it looks like we've got the American one joining us, but while he zooms in, we'll go ahead and pass it next to Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Yeah, Dr. MJ Coco I'm from CocoForCannabis.com. Um, should be here for the whole show this week. It's, it seems like it's been a while, so I'm excited about that. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. Likewise, I know I had probably one of my best Thanksgivings in a while. Lady Greenstock and I moved uh, back to San Diego in 2017 and have been doing Thanksgiving uh, together since then. And this year, we really, I feel like we've dialed it in just like growing every year, you get a little bit better. Uh, so as you make your Thanksgiving in your own spot, you've, I've been in the same spot for the last six years. So it gets a little bit better, a little bit better every time. And man, just knocked it out of the park and uh, had a really nice Thanksgiving. Hope everybody else did as well. But I want to, speaking of Thanksgiving, that is an American holiday. And uh, I know that they celebrate it in other places, but our Thanksgiving was this past Thursday. I know other countries have different dates and uh, celebrations and things like that, but we have the American one with us. So I'll go ahead and introduce him. Hello, Jack, panel, everyone in chat. I am the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. I'm glad I made it tonight and uh, it's good to be here. I hope everyone had a great week and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, we're looking forward to having you back, and uh, I have a topic for this evening. We're going to pick up from where we left off a few weeks back, kind of learn to grow your own, uh, focused on Ohio because they just recently legalized and made growing their own legal. We did a little bit of science last week, but uh, I want to get back on to kind of picking up where we left off. One of the things that we didn't talk too much about or really at all in the first week of uh, kind of getting your grow started, learning to grow your own, was the difference between starting from seed versus starting from clone, which I know is a topic that we've touched in the past, but it's been quite some time. And logistically, those things are actually quite different. Um, as you know, many of us who are already growers know, it does you know change up things a little bit depending on how you're going to start it. Uh, are you going to make your own clones? Are you going to be able to buy clones? Like in Ohio, I think that there's already dispensaries for the medical stuff. So I'm wondering if clones are going to be available because that's 
a thing in California. If you're starting to grow your own here, you could just go to a dispensary and buy six clones and then you're off to the races. You don't even have to worry about seed germination. But there's also a lot of benefits that uh, our buddy Matthew Gates is jumping in. How coincidental. As I literally said his name on the Zoom, the name Matthew Gates popped up as, as the words came out of my mouth. <laughs> that was kind of crazy, but he's going to be jumping in. He's our IPM specialist and he'll probably tell us a little bit about some of the IPM benefits of starting from seed. But I figure um, now that he is with us and I think he can hear me, I'll let Matthew introduce himself and then I'll go around and we'll talk a little bit about starting from seed, starting from clone, which we do individually, uh, either or or both. And uh, yeah, with that being said, Matthew Gates, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, Matthew Gates, for those who don't know, integrated pest management specialist. And yeah, we can definitely talk about that. We're happy to have you back. And I know uh, Doc is similar to myself, if I remember correctly, but I'll pass it to you first just for discussion's sake and ask, what do you grow with primarily? Are you a seed grower? Or do you start from clone? And uh, what are some of the differences and notable things that you think about that? Yeah, in my grow, I usually start from seed. Um, I have started from clone. I've gone to dispensaries and gotten clones before. Um, so I've grown some of the... I don't know. That's how I grew GG4, for example. Um, I got that at a dispensary. Um, I've got my tent right here. That's cool. And yeah, some other clone-only varieties. I was interested to do the, um, what was it, Skywalker um, OG. That was a clone-only Skywalker OG that, that people were chattering about quite a bit up in L.A., um, so I've grown some clones. I definitely, and that's sort of the reason clones are a good way to get kind of specific genetics, um, you know, and to preserve specific genetics much more reliably than seeds. I mean, yeah, seeds are all like called the same thing or they're, you know, theoretically the same cultivar variety, but there's a lot of, of variation when grown from a seed. Uh, I prefer seeds, though, because of that variation, you know, most of it's really cool and, and enjoyable variation. And um, seedlings are more vigorous early in life um, than clones are, um, you know, just kind of like how kids are more vigorous than adults are. Like clones grow just a little bit kind of slower and, and a seedling kind of has a burst of energy at, at the start so um you know it also introduces more variety and for home growers i mean if you're going to go buy clones or get clones shipped to you or whatever that, that's one thing but actually like sort of running doing propagation from clones like keeping clones um it, it requires a lot more space and sort of a, a different space than you know your main grow space or whatever so it's a little bit harder to get set up to kind of keep clones like that. I think it's easier to just run from seeds each time. Great points. And I'm uh, glad I passed it to you first to get us started. And I guess I'll pass it next to Brandon Rust and ask, uh, I know that you've done a lot of both, but um, what are your thoughts on starting from seed versus starting from clone? Do you prefer one or the other? And uh, what do you do more often? Brandon, you're still muted just as a FYI. Uh, I think that it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, if you're starting from seed and you're maybe looking for something, clones are good because it's, you know, something that's usually proven out. You know what you're going to get when you get it. That's why people shared clones and genetics for the longest time. Uh, nowadays, a lot more people are popping seeds. People didn't pop as much seeds 15, about 20 years ago. 
hardly anybody was popping seeds, you know, that I knew everybody get good seeds 15, 20 years ago. It was hard to get reliable good seeds 15, 20 years ago, wasn't it, Brent? I mean, like once you got something good, you'd want to hold on to it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think there was just less people doing like breeding and less availability to those people's work because so much so many people were just kind of working in the shadows still. Exactly. But the whole thing is those clone only cuts were what people wanted, you know, like and it's you still see it today, like Skittles. You know, that's a clone only cut or Gelato 41. That's a clone only Gorilla Glue 4. When we're talking about specific varieties, for the most part, we're talking about a specific cut that's been chosen out of lineage. You know what I mean? And that's why we have those clones. But, you know, we can take different varieties like like this right here, Blueberry Train Mac. And these are all seeds, you know. And I can hunt through this and find cool stuff in there. So I don't know. It depends on what your goal is. I would agree. A lot of the time you hear a name, it's like almost always going to be a a quote unquote clone only. Usually that somebody popped a seed and then, you know, found a phenotype that they enjoyed from a certain cross. Well, almost that's always how it starts. Right. But um, sometimes it's a known cross. Sometimes it's not. And then sometimes there's like stuff that's really consistent, like Cinderella 99, you hear about a lot. But no one's ever like, oh, and there's one pheno except that's exceptional. I would say it's like the pineapple pheno that goes around. There's a cut uh, that gets talked about. But for the most part, I think people just like Cinderella 99 because it's a well-bred strain, just like Donnie Burger. There's a lot of people that grow Donnie Burger and love Donnie Burger. I've got a cut. My buddies down the street's got a cut. Spartan's got a cut. Like there's a whole bunch of people growing it all over. I ran into some people from San Diego Farmers Cup that had some hash of it when I was at the last event I talked about. And it's just like those are all from seed. And it's all just phenomenal because the breeding was actually really well done. And, uh, yeah, but Jack, there's a lot like GG4. You can go and buy GG4 seeds now that somebody's self to the plant or done some other shenanigans and are, are selling seeds. So uh, there's a lot of kind of clone only varieties that the seeds that are available are not really legit seeds. And then there's other varieties like you're talking about that are sort of more stable, legit seed varieties absolutely well and that's a great point because the few that i just named the cinderella 99s the donnie burgers are the exception and not the rule the rule in cannabis is you're gonna if you're gonna buy a seed that's called like gorilla glue 4 you should just know go back and listen to i've re-uploaded our josie wales episode he's like expert or ace seeds or whoever the hell is selling gg4 seeds first of all gg4 is a cut so they can't sell gg4 it should be gg4 s1 or gg4 backcross or gg4 whatever but they shouldn't be able to different as we yeah. talked about on this show. It's not going to be the same. Maybe tissue cultured artificial seeds, but not real seeds. Right. And that'd be the oh, only way. And that's certainly not what they were advertising. It was just regular, you know, they're calling it GG4. I've seen the same thing with Purple Punch. I've seen the same thing with Girl Scout Cookies. I've seen it with every single popular strain. OG Kush. Go down the line. You could go to like BC Bud Depot or whatever, you know, garbage oh. knockoff breeder website. And they'll have every single strain that you've ever heard of in seed form and they'll sell it to you. Um, but in reality, most of them are clone only, quote unquote, um, that somebody you know bought a pack from the original breeder and found something killer and kept a clone of it. And that gained notoriety for one reason or another. Um, yeah. So it's important to note that there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of knockoff artists. There's literally people that call themselves like copycat genetics and people support that person at a pretty large scale it's it's actually shocking to me that people will just buy stuff that is like it'd be like 
and I get that people can't afford sometimes the more expensive stuff, but like people bragging that they've got like a fake Gucci bag or something like, look at my fake Gucci or my knockoff Gucci or whatever. And um, sometimes these people can actually take the genetics and, and work with them and uh, have access to some of the stuff. But a lot of the times it's just like they're selling you whatever smells or looks the closest to whatever that popular thing is. So they might have like Girl Scout cookies and they'll say, oh, I've got the wedding cake or the gelato or whatever it is now and just sell you that same whatever S1. Uh, so it is good to be skeptical. And I'll always shout out my little Instagram page I made, aromatic.akeens, which uh, only follows breeders that I've vetted that have done good work. And if you go through any of those 40 or so breeders, you'll get something that you'll be pretty happy with. As long as you follow decent instructions on how to grow, you'll find something that's pretty fire, in my opinion. So with that said, I want to uh, give Tao a little bit of an opportunity to talk some on Seeds versus Clones and his experience. Uh, any thoughts on the differences between the two? Do you prefer one over the other? And uh, any general ideas and thoughts? Well, like, yeah, if you're doing regular seed, then you got to sort out the males, which is an issue. So that's a reason why I use clones in the past. I've never gotten like clone only like Gorilla Glue or special strains. But as I was cultivating, if a, a plant was, you know, uh, stood out and was better than all the rest, I would take cuttings of it and keep it. And then you could just make, you know, a uh, hundred copies of it and fill whatever space you needed they'd be all female it'd be all the same so for monocropping and for yield i would say well i guess it's a catch-22 you could you could uh train seeds from the start and probably get close but for monocropping it's it's easier and things go consistent but um and i do believe that the vigor from a seed is a little bit greater they do seem more resistant to everything and more vigorous but that could just be you know that's anecdotal i haven't done any uh but i would imagine that like when they're young they have special um uh you know anti especially when they're just starting as a seed you know <clears throat> uh protections that a, an older plant probably wouldn't have perhaps not you know something more of that but um yeah that's my take. I haven't really, and depending on the price too. I mean, some clones people want a lot of money for, and some you get on the cheap. And uh, so, yeah, that's another factor. But I like looking through seeds because I I don't want to have something that everybody else has. That's just like why I want something better, different and better is what you want to find. And you find that by looking through a bunch of seeds. And usually if, I mean, even like the worst seed. 10 seeds I ever started, there was one that was like worth smoking and keeping or, you know, worth smoking, I'll say. Maybe not the whole, you know, worth keeping, but it's always fun looking for new things. Yeah. My thought on the, uh, one of the comments you made there was seeds at the early, early stage are, in my opinion, like more vulnerable uh, and to like pathogens or other things like that. But in the, you know, short to near stage after they get that germination like when they're in early veg i do think that they might be more vigorous or resistant or resilient um so clones are far more likely to show up with pests like with spider mites or with some i mean and matthew could certainly talk to that but like in terms of the the dangers there i think that one of the big ones is like these clones are coming from somebody else's grow and who the hell knows what kind of problems they're dealing with. Um, so if you're bringing clones in like that, you could be importing problems. 
That's a good point. Uh, Matthew, did you have any thoughts on the do seeds have maybe more resilience or anything early like Tao was referencing there? I kind of got the impression that you were sort of trying to describe, uh, I don't want to speak for you, but kind of like how if you're, it's a different kind of risk, right? Because with, with cuttings, you maybe you can like control the environment yourself and then you know, hopefully, that, that things are, are going fine and, and you can harden off the cutting, have it root, and then you have a nice plant. Whereas with seeds, it can maybe feel that way because you like put it in a substrate, for example, or you or you uh, germinate it however you will. And maybe like there is something on the seed hull, but you can rinse that, um, you know, and do things to to uh, fortify against that. Right. Um, I feel like it's I, I kind of um, I feel like, of course, there's obviously advantages and disadvantages, but in my own personal like way that I like to grow, um, I do find seeds more alluring and attractive, but I think it's capital R romanticism that mostly drives that rather than like um, uh, super rational logic or anything like that. Uh, because from, a, especially like on a larger scale, I think that um, the technology, and we've talked about this before, it's quote unquote, the technology, the breeding and such for seeds, I think, um, a lot of the potential and a lot of the uh, great examples we see in other agricultural crops just hasn't really been there in the same way, but that's slowly uh, gaining. And so I think that uh, we might see the pendulum swing in the other direction, at least for certain kinds of uh, instances. Of course, on the Cheap Home Grow podcast, um, you know, cheap and good in home grow are the, the biggest criteria. So Matthew, okay. you're thinking primarily of like taking your own clones or making your own clones, right? Yeah. I, when I was giving that example, yeah, yeah. Because obviously if you get it from another place, that's a different kind of risk. That's what I was thinking of. I'm thinking of like a new grower just going, just starting out at this point, right? That's the, the idea at least. Uh, although they got to keep going and figure out some sort of propagation strategy to go forward. But um uh, I huge, imagine somebody that's risk. either going to go and buy seeds or they're going to go and buy clones. And in both I cases, think... you can get pests, which I think is the that's like the that's the misunderstanding that people have that one or the other is going to be better. Mostly that seeds, but you can get pathogens vertically transmitted or on the seed hull. Sure, so they're going to be in the tissue. Risky as clones. I was going to say, you have to agree seeds are far less risky. than. Clones. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's it's like not risky, but I'm saying it's far less risky than clones. Well, what's worse, spider mice or hot plate and viroid? Give me the percentage. I mean, I've never is gotten it, either, so... Is it, is it, is it a 75% <laughs> chance of, of one? But you can't do... Well, you, there's no the conventional other? response to hot plate and viroid, right? Right. Right. Well, I think Matthew's point is just to uh, be conscious yeah. of the fact that you can potentially be exposed, even growing from seed. So it's um, not not a it's not a full yeah, but, all for but, sure. Yeah, but you can get both of those things from a clone as well. There, Matthew. Exactly. And Absolutely. On top of that, some of the the you get the seeds from someone like uh, remember they showed a picture of Russ Brandon. Uh, Brand, what, yeah, he had. Uh, one of one of his customers popped the seed and it had the fuzz on it, but it was a good fuzz. So there's good stuff could could come with uh, certain seeds and clones, perhaps too, right? 
Yes, and that's actually one of the things I like to harp on about, which is that um, hopefully as technology increases and our ability to like assess our plants increases, I think that that sort of like end of one medicine type uh, perspective that you can get like um, an idea of the traits that you're going to get from the genome and all that, um, and also from the microbiome, I think is really cool. And uh, being able to shape that Uh, context with a lot more uh, fine-tuning is very exciting as a prospect for me. But Dr. Coco is totally right. And I do agree that cuttings are the uh, the inferior biosecurity risk. <laughs> but they're not both, but one of them is not better than the other, which I think is the, the, the main thrust of my point. It's good to acknowledge, I think, both points that you just made there. And um, also, I think that you continue to point out technology. And I think it's interesting that like biotechnology has become more of a thing in recent times and some stuff that we might not think of as technology. Um, and maybe this is me like applying technology, technological thought to uh, living objects. But like I heard somebody, I, I watched something about the history of dogs. And they kind of referred to them as like one of the early biotechnologies. You know, they had dogs that would hunt wolves or dogs that were just bred to be cute or, you know, dogs that, you know, uh, were sheep herding and things like that. So it's almost like, you know, a, a technology in that regard because they skewed it how they wanted it to. And I think of similar with cannabis breeding, like they could breed it to make rope for hemp. They could breed it for drug cultivars. And there's so many different things that we could breed the plant for. And it's sort of a we're using technology now even to like assist that with uh, marker assisted breeding and things like that. And even um, things like what Brandon is doing, selling like a, a something that's a, 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 I don't know if it's living, but like the microbe plus um, and microbial consortiums, those are sort of like a biotech of sorts of, you know, selling a, a living thing Definitely instead living, of a yeah. fertilizer. Yeah, it's living. The main, uh, the main, the only, um, I would say this, the thing about, doing a, a consortium like this that I'm really excited about in the future to augment what's already possible. It's just kind of being able to go, go back inside, go back inside, go back around and uh, test to see, hey, what are those levels at? Because I think right now, um, unfortunately, it's just a tech thing. It's not like it's anyone's fault, but um, it can be kind of hard to assess that in, I think, a meaningful way, in a way that um, results in like, actionable moves and i think that that will become more possible which is exciting i did want to give uh spartan grown a chance to jump in on the whole clones versus seeds if you have any preferences or any thoughts on the differences between the two maybe advantages or disadvantages that a new grower would consider or just the actual uh you know handling of of you know taking the clone versus popping the seed i'll just give you the I'll give you one better. I'll give you the, the secret Spartan grown method of starting to grow. And I always started with seeds because I didn't know, I didn't have the connections yet in, in the local scene when I started growing of who was the trustworthy person that I know I could get a clean clone from. And when I mean clean, I'm more, I'm not so much worried about bugs. I know how to get rid of bugs fairly well, but I'm more worried about the stuff I can't see. You know, like systemic pesticides, things like that, that stay with the plant, even when you clone it. So I started out with seeds for that, because at least it, it let me roll the dice a little less. <laughs> and um, so I, I started out with seeds, but and still to this day, I go by the same theory 
is I have my keepers. I call them my gladiators in the arena, right? And those are my keeper strains. And I've gotten all those keeper strains. Some of them have been from seed and some have, the, some have been from cuts. Most of them from seed. But I always keep them and I have four to five that I keep. And then I run everything else against it. And if it's not better than one of those five, it goes. And I get to pop more seeds, which is exciting to me because I'm forever pheno hunting, forever looking for that next best thing. And hey, if I get sick of one after five years, just because I've had it for five years, I'll get rid of the damn thing. But before I get rid of anything, it's always offered to my little friend group, right? My little bank, my genetic bank, because, or even when I find something good, it always goes to a select few people because you got to have your cuts backed up. You know, shit happens. So clones are, are great. That's the little tool in your tool belt that helps you save something great that you find. But seeds are awesome for searching for that something great or that next best thing. So I think there's a place for both of them. And, uh, but I do pop more seeds than I you know, run clones. I do keep cloning those you know, four or five, but those four or five change throughout time, depending on what I'm running against it. And then I have breeding. That's a whole nother mess of trying to keep track of things, but we're not going into that. <laughs> Certainly fun. And um, another point that was brought up earlier in this was it was harder to get seeds back in the day, which is for sure true. Just, there wasn't hundreds of seed banks that were just shipping all over the world like there are now. There was a couple. And so a lot of the genetics going around were related to, you know, Sensi Seed Bank or, you know, Super Sativa Seed Club or a couple others that were around back then. Um, and then, you know, the knockoffs started happening fairly early. But what wasn't addressed that I did see a fair amount back then and even somewhat still to this day, there were people that were not what they were considering breeding, but making seeds. They would buy a pack from, you know, Super Sativa Seed Club or whoever. And then they would take a male and a female, maybe their best one, or maybe just set it aside somewhere else, but they would make seeds for the next season. If they really liked to strain, they'd make seeds with like, you know, a few different ones and then grow the seeds that ended up working the best in their area. So that was a way, um, and this is getting into one of the next points that we need to, especially because I've sent out a bunch of regular seeds to Ohio growers that are new growers, we need to uh, discuss what Tao talked about a little bit earlier, which is identifying males versus females uh, and then selecting the females, which we're obviously going to grow for the flower, which new growers might not know. You grow the females out and you get rid of the males unless you're trying to make more seeds. And uh, here is an example of a female uh, calyx with pistols. Sometimes they're called stigmas as well. So don't get too confused by the terminology. And then males, you start to see like there's like what people call balls or pollen sacs uh, on the right side of this image here. Uh, and then the females here at the bottom, you can see the sort of what people call hairs, stigmas, pistols. But um, I'll scroll up because there's a few other examples. Here's a really more well-developed male with several pollen sacs or balls. And Get rid see of it this, by the time it looks like that. If you see like that, that's like priority number one if you see that <laughs> get that it out. The whole plant. i mean just get it get it out of there far away from all your other cannabis plants so and the reason stop it before that the reason is because if you want you know your cannabis to not have a lot of seeds in it it makes it easier to break up and smoke and consume uh, some people maybe grew up in that era where there was a bunch of seeds in their bud and, and wouldn't mind or whatever but in modern times most people go for what's sensimia which is without seeds in spanish sin without uh, seeds simias but um 
yeah, Centimia, sometimes Sensi is what it's referred to. Uh, is seedless bud is what we're trying to grow. That's a male. Here's a earlier male. So before, like these are the pollen sacs. You can see this one looks like it may have already opened up or it's about to start opening like today, uh, where this one is earlier on. Sometimes I've heard them referred to as they almost look like a, a, a spade on a playing card, um, which kind of gives you that shape. And see a stick and ball. That's usually the male too. Um, the other thing that can be confusing is this has gotten me a few times in the past. You see the thing right next to it, this long stalk. People might think that's like a, uh, a pistol or a sigma, especially if they start to get frosty or right. trichomes. That's a stipule, S-T-I-P-U-L-E. I might be mispronouncing stipule, but that is um, a part that will show up on both the male and female cannabis plant. So and that's a good point that you brought up, Jack. The like the, the because some people like myself that don't have the greatest eyesight when you get that close and that small. Um, what I'm always looking for, because to me the calyx, even the spade shape and all that, the calyx and and the male part, which I don't know what you would call it, is they look the same to me. So the only way I can tell the difference is if it's on that if it's on a stem, well, I call it. So if it's pushing away from the plant, then I know that's going to be a male. But if it is if it's forming right on the plant, then it's still possibly a female. I don't say female for sure, but possibly a female. Or if it starts pushing out pistols. Right. If I see pistols, I, I, that's my for sure. Yeah. That's my for sure. That's a female. And just on that anatomy, plant flower terminology is particularly sort of screwy, but I'm pretty sure stigma is a part of a pistol. So like the whole thing can be called a pistol or the, the top part of it is still the pistol but that that part of the pistol is also called the stigma from my understanding yeah, that's my understanding too there's one pistol per bract and all of the other hairs that come off of that bract are called stigmas the stigmas act as like a hair that bring it down into the pistol but that was just one botanist who explained it uh mel frank i think so i think the whole thing from the base to the tip is the the pistol and the top part of it is the stigma i mean again plant different flowers because they're sort of the way they evolved um have a lot of like parts that look similar that do different things or that do the same thing but are from different parts or whatever so it can be very hard to kind of unwind exactly what different parts of a flower is and at a certain point it, it kind of doesn't matter um but i don't think you're wrong calling it either of those things i'll just say that yeah i think they're both fine some people even just call them the hairs which i'm not gonna hold it against anybody they're describing what it looks like to them um this is a female canvas plant in flower which looks like it is unpollinated to me i don't see any seeds growing out of there and i also see that the stigmas or pistols are fairly white this late in flower which would mean that they didn't get pollinated if they're pollinated a good sign is that they are red um they start to turn red or orange very early in flower like week three or four if they're pollinated they'll start to show like this one is starting to show a little bit of these orange stigmas or hairs pistols whatever you want to call them because it's very late in flower i would guess this is probably week six seven maybe eight depending on the strain and so that's getting closer to be harvested and because it's not pollinated eventually these hairs start to change color and that's some people use that as an indicator of harvest time but um it's I love also the caption though come on how do you just scroll past that the caption's the best Swollen, so sticky, sensimia. So this is That's what I was three, describing. It, it is unpollinated. And uh, there's that word. Sometimes it's spelled different, but this is actually how the Spanish uh, words, sin without semia seed. 
Um, but sometimes you'll see it like S-E-N-S-I, like Sensi Seeds or other uh, companies or people just use that word Sensi when they're referring to seedless cannabis, which was initially found, I think, in Mexico for whatever reason. But That's got to be, I mean, how is that not a cannabis company already? S3, man, Swollen Sticky Sensimilia. That should be a cannabis company somewhere. And now it's got to be. <laughs> Manifested into existence, Spartan Grown, put it out there. It'll, it'll be a if good, it's not That already, makes me feel good. I want that. I want that to be a thing. That sounds awesome. So I'm going to hit back because just Google Photos has like, oh, actually, I need to go over to, damn, sometimes technology doesn't work how you want it to work, people. Um just give me a second here. I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that way I can promo, adi- promo right there. adequately uh, <laughs> move through what I'm looking through. Here we go. Um, so the issue was that my thing was like full screen, but then there's like Zoom has all these little options blocking what I was trying to click. So, oh, yeah. all right, share screen and male versus female cannabis. So I just Googled male versus female cannabis. So anybody can do this wherever you're at. Uh, unless you're in China and they don't have probably the show because you don't have YouTube uh, <laughs> or Google. But anyway, that aside, th- you can just scroll through and you'll see lots of examples that give you different stages. There's also um, sometimes diagrams that will make it easier for you to uh, essentially picture what is a male versus a female at different stages because it is important. I, as an experienced grower, have actually made some mistakes on this stuff. I still prefer to use Farmer Freeman, uh, EZXY. It's just one of many groups that do sex testing. Um, you can send off a leaf sample as early as like week one of your vegetative growth, and they'll take that sample, crush it up, and then they'll read the genetics and say, you know, one through four are females and six through 10 are males or whatever it is. And they'll give you little stakes that have numbers corresponding to the plant that you took samples from. But there's a bunch of different Delta leaf labs and uh, medicinal genomics and several others do uh, cannabis sex testing. So if you are worried about, you know, flipping a plant to flower or vegging so long that it shows uh, pre-sex in veg, because that's another thing. Um, What we're talking about, these things usually only show in flower, if like you're growing in cocoa and you veg for 30 days or less, or if you have a short veg cycle, uh, that early stage of plant where you're just growing it to get green leaf matter or whatever, um, it may not show sex. So when you flip these plants from 18.6 to 12.12, which is the typical light cycles for a lot of people, then you're going to start to see those sex showing. And in my case, like one time I had three females and 13 males. So it would have really fucked me if I flipped and just had you know yeah. such a terrible ratio because um, those three plants would have had to fill in my entire space, which they ended up doing, but I, I trained them to do that and I was able to eliminate the males way sooner. Um, it's usually about a 50-50 ratio. And sometimes people actually have like really incredible high female ratios, like 10 out of 10 female, even in a pack of regs or like 60-40 or 70-30, like male to female in a pack, 10 pack, whatever it is. So those are some things to consider when it comes to starting a seed versus a clone, knowing the difference between a reg and a femme. And uh, I, yeah. I want to say one thing here for new growers, because if you're sending them to Google, they're going to find all sorts of crap on Google. And one of the things that they're going to find is that, um, you know, you can look at the seed and tell if it's a male seed or a female seed, or you can bounce the seed and tell if it's a male seed. I mean, there's all sorts of like crazy ideas or float them and whatever one sinks first. <laughs> yeah, it's put a lighter on it. Put it yeah. in a container <laughs> with a banana because the ethylene will feminize them. That's another one. So let's dispel some of those. Bro, <laughs> all of that is just, just BS. Be careful what you find on Google. 
Yeah, I've done that um, male versus female seed thing where you look at the bottom of the seed and it's supposed to like the females look like a little volcano and there's like a little hole that it comes to on the bottom of the seed. I spent hours sorting through all my seeds, picking out the males from the females. And guess what? <laughs> when I popped all the what were supposed to be female seeds, right. which were regs, it was a 50-50 ratio, like exactly split right down the middle. I popped like 30 of them. It was 15 males, 15 females. So looking at it from the outside, I really personally don't think that there's any scientific evidence to prove that you can tell before without and even like i don't think that there's a test that currently exists that can like take a seed and like send off some of the genetics of it i think it has to get at least to the cotyledon the first set of like round leaves there's Um, just it's hard to get a sample um i mean you'd have to have yeah, a very small needle to go in and sample the DNA of the, the you know, seed endosperm. So I think that it, it's just a whole lot easier to germinate the seed and then take out of the cotyledon. Right. And some people are even doing it at home with uh, qPCR testing. You can figure out how to sequence your own. And that's also a way that you can test for like hoplatin viroid or um, it was used for testing all sorts of viruses and viroids and things like that for humans and, and plants. So it might be a useful thing to learn and uh, provide as a service in this new and growing economy of uh, cannabis cultivation. Because I know I consistently spend money every year buying these sex tests and sending them off to Farmer Freeman. I probably could have bought a QPCR at this point and started testing it myself. But the extra effort, the time, learning it, all that stuff, I'm like, sometimes I just like to let the pros do their thing and leave it to the professionals. I've sent over 100 tests to them. 100% accuracy. So like, I'm not going to complain because I'm getting exactly what I need and it's within an affordable price range. So that's just one of those options that's out there for people, but it is the cheap home grow. So I'll give you the other option, which uh, is to, you can take a cutting off of your plants and veg, even if it's just like a little one shoot off the side, throw it in a shot glass or a cup of water. And you could put that into a flowering area or even like if you just have a little desk lamp, you could put it under you know 24 hours darkness or 12 on 12 off any sort of flowering cycle or dark cycle for a few days. And within a week, you're going to know if you take a little microscope, you might have to look at the uh, little inner nodes. That's tough, man, to get roots because the plant's not going to start to flip until it's kind of rooted again. So you got to get roots and then it's got to flip onto the, uh, onto the 12, 12. I think it's going to take at least a couple of weeks and, I think is a limited, you know, usefulness for that because by that point, you're going to have had to kind of made your decision and the rest of your grow one way or the other oftentimes, but it's a fun experimenting and you learn a lot about growing that way, but I think it's going to take a while to sex the plant by cutting a clone. I'll say that I've seen them show sex without being rooted. Weirdly enough. I don't know how that mechanism works, but uh, if they're given enough darkness, it's not like um, a fully developed plant or are you even trying rooted or are you just trying to get it to express? just trying to get it to express because i heard about this and i was like is this true like can i do this and um it's just like i'm uncertain i don't like having to take a a jeweler's loop to my little one inch cutting uh and my flower space is relatively small so like having little cups and shot glasses kind of scattered throughout it yeah uh, is difficult so even just like in my home area like having it out in an area that would be like perfectly dark or light enough to not get like light interference because like a small amount of light is enough to keep a plant like in vegetative stage and not showing its sex. So um, I would run into like my house has a lot of natural light from windows all over and I'm not going to like just block it all off for a little bit of a extra ability to sex a plant. So 
there there is probably people that could pull it off like if you have a room that's isolated in your house yeah. you need to get your priorities too. we're talking or to new could, growers on like their first run here it in a so, box for 12 hours a day i want to give a shout out to feminized seeds all you new growers out there there's this wonderful thing called a feminized seed where you basically are guaranteed that the seeds are going to be female to start with um you know, if you get regular seeds for free or or if they're gifted or whatever, but I, I definitely think it takes a lot of the headache out of your first few runs to to grow a feminized seeds. So just for what it's worth, I wanted to interject that. You usually pay more for them, but yeah, I agree. You usually pay more for them, but not usually a lot more. I found That's that it's about the ratio. So like if you bought a yeah, 10 pack, about right. Right. if you buy a 10 pack of regs, let's call it a hundred dollars, a five pack of femmes might be a hundred dollars, but like in that 10 pack of regs, you might get five females right. in that 10, five pack of femmes, you're getting five females, especially if you get it from a trustworthy, reliable uh, breeder, like any of the ones that I've listed, or, or you could ask anybody on this panel who they suggest. Um, there's yeah. plenty and of them out like, there. I've gotten a bunch of seeds that were supposed to be autos that weren't autos. I've gotten a few photo period seeds that were supposed to be photos that were autos. I've never gotten a femme seed that turned out to be a male. Some of them have hermed. So you still need to understand sort of what the male genitalia on the plant look like. Because even if you got a female plant, you can still throw ball sacks and pollinate your plants. Um, so it, it, you're not totally out of the woods. But the they've all been female to at least start with right so i think the reliability of of that is is higher but there are still herms that's a great point it's still a viable method to what jack was saying with the cuttings because i've done it myself multiple times with success usually about two weeks though you're right it takes about two weeks in fact the last time i did it i put it in a solo cup of soil instead of putting it in water because i didn't want to feel like changing the water even i was that lazy with it so I just put it in moist soil, which stayed moist for a long as like a week at a time before I had to water it again. But that thing rooted out and it, <clears throat> and it flowered out. And I got uh, to have an, enough flower <laughs> harvested off of it. It wasn't worth my time of watering it, honestly, but right. it was fun. And uh, I had a joint of uh, the flower before it was even harvested in the flower room. So it was kind of cool. My thought on this is just it's going to be. Oh no, close to three weeks before you're gonna be able to really get a cutting off of the plant to do this with, right? A plant grown from a seed. Like you're doing really well if you can get a, a viable cutting off the plant in less than three weeks. And, and then it's gonna be another two weeks from there to get it rooted or not, or to get it to express, just so that you know. So you're five weeks in. At this point, I'm ready to like flip. Like I finding that information out at that point might be a little bit kind of late in the game to actually do something about it if, if that makes sense no because i usually always pop more seeds than i need so it's just a matter of which ones do i need to eliminate i need to eliminate some just tell me which ones and if i have to wait to okay. the day of flip to do that that works sure now if you were growing femmes you wouldn't probably have grown more than you exactly need. yeah exactly i'd plan accordingly for sure that's gotcha. why i do the same popping a lot of regs like i might pop 15 to get the best two and that's a little bit more extreme than some people but i personally uh have a lot of seeds because i get i actually for a while i had to tell people please stop offering to send me seeds and stop sending me seeds because i have too many for my small little grow space and i'm making my own at this point so like if you send them to me they're just going to get put at the bottom of that list and they might not get grown out for years and years and years so i'm going to tell you this up front so you don't waste your time because i know what it feels like to spend my own money package up a seed send it out to somebody and have them not grow it it's not a fun feeling. 
And then on that same person like reaches out and asks for more seeds. And I'm going to say, you can purchase them from my website because so I sent you free you. seeds and you never grew them and gave me any report. So anybody out there who's in that situation, don't come asking if you already got free ones and never gave any feedback. So that's a quick little piece of advice from Jack, at least. Um, I know that some people are like, do whatever you want with them. But I'm like, I gave them to you to grow, not to collect or sell or whatever. You know, it's a it's for a cause. I want to overgrow the planet. I'm trying to, you know, help you out, not just uh, have it be something stuck in somebody's seed collection. And I'm not trying to do that to other people make them think like, oh, I'm going to grow it next run and then hang on to it. I try to get it all grown. Like I got a bunch of stuff from Brandon that I still need to grow. And I feel bad about it. Can't clean. I still need to grow. I feel bad, but I'm trying to get to them. I'm growing some Spartans right now. I'm working through. I got my list. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that we we all go through. But uh, that totally uh, sidetracked me a little bit. But I did find uh, this is going to be a science episode for about 10 seconds because uh, I'm going to throw up a quick article because it always cracks me up a little bit that like we use the term herm and it just feels so unofficial, but hermaphroditism in cannabis is how it's uh, labeled in this one frontiers in science article. Um, and then I just found, I just did the classic cannabis herm on Google, and then you could go through and find for those that don't know, hermaphroditism is when a female cannabis plant shows both sexes. So you can see here, some of those pistols are sigmas on the top female and the male flower sex or balls on the same plant. It's also called, um, I believe, Die monoecious, where both are on the same plant, right? Sure, they're monoecious, but it still is a dioecious plant because it tends to grow dioeciously. Plants that are monoecious always grow with both male and female flowers, like corn, for example. Exactly like corn is monoecious. Yeah, it's got female flowers about halfway up the corn and male flowers at the top of the corn. Um, Every single plant grows like that. Like that's how it genetically evolved to yeah. reproduce itself and like make the stalks. It drops the pollen onto itself and then it can be pollinated and grow up from there. Yeah, cannabis and is it's wind blown not. and it's promiscuous. It'll take pollen from anybody. So, um, yeah. No, you said either male or female plant, cannabis plants can become hermaphroditic. Um, that's a good point. Just females. So Great point. we usually eliminate the males before they have sort of the chance to throw female flowers. But yeah, any plant, any plant that has both, any cannabis plant that has both male and female flowers is intersexed or hermaphrodite. And um, yeah, they that is something that a lot of breeders will not breed with. If they see a male that starts to throw pistols, um, that's considered undesirable and, and likely to then like begets like, a lot of people say in breeding. So if you have something that's showing signs of hermaphroditism, it's likely that it has it within its genetic sequence somewhere and it might re-express in the progeny. So it's easier to select away from that stuff to try and prevent it. This is just a scientific article. I'm not going to go super deep into it. It just has some good images of like later flower stuff. Sometimes you'll hear these called bananas or nanners. And um, those are little pollen sacs that form. This is uh, letter B here on the diagram. Maybe I'll click on that and it'll get bigger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So these are really good images of what I would consider what people in our space call a nanner. Um, I believe Brandon actually used these types of pollen sacs to breed the limerilla. So it's something that you can use to make feminized seed as a strategy. Like some people will flower, flower their stuff for like an extra three or four weeks after its due date. And almost all plants will do this if you grow them yeah. too long. So that's sort of a um, warning to not flower your plants for too long. If it says like, eight, nine, 10 weeks, you don't want to take it 16 weeks, right? If you double that flower time, you're almost inevitably going to run into hermaphroditism. It's built into the cannabis survival chain. I believe it's there from an evolutionary perspective. If cannabis thinks that I've never been pollinated, I'm 20 weeks old or however old, 
I need to pass my offspring on to the next season or next generation. So I'm going to pollinate myself as a last ditch effort. And I think that there's a chemical out there called silver thiosulfate. There's also also colloidal silver, which is we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but breeders use those things to take even what are considered stable female cannabis plants that always express female in everybody's garden for years under multiple stress tests. But as soon as they get hit with that chemical, it will start to produce male pollen sacs. And that's how they make what are called female S1s pollen. or self plants. It'll it'll create female pollen sacs. So the the pollen, it's this sort of structurally the same as male pollen, except it doesn't have a Y chromosome. So the it, because it comes from a, a plant that doesn't have a Y chromosome. So it's it's purely female pollen. And that's how they make, like Jack, you're saying, Jack, feminized seeds, because all the pollen is going to be X chromosomal pollen. There's not any Y chromosomal pollen, so there can't be any male seeds. It's the same with humans. If you're XX, you're what's considered the sex female. If you're XY, you're considered sex male. Um, and so when you eliminate the Y from the chain, Mr. Soul, uh, the breeder of C99, uh, Brothers Grim Seeds, he, can, he sells them as like Cinderella XX. He calls it that. He doesn't call it feminized. He calls it XX because he believes that, you know, that female only passes on the X chromosome. So even if like he's sold thousands of these seeds to people that grow them at like farm scale in Colorado. And he said in that there's been a few cases where people are like, I found a male or I found a herm, but then they'll test that and it'll be a female. And sometimes weirdly, like this is like a one in a million chance. There's like a weird female anomaly where it looks like a full blown male, but it's just a female that only has XX pollen to throw. Um, which that's so rare. It's not even worth considering or like really worrying about. I would say if you happen to be that one in a million person who gets a femme like that, um, let me know. I'd like to see a picture of it or whatever. It's extremely, extremely rare. It's more likely Nobody's that you gonna know because they're just going to think it's a male. And they're going to throw a damn out. Nobody's going to be like, Oh my God, I have this male. I'm going to send it off to get genetically tested and, and hold it. I mean, it's just going to get pitched. I'll say this. If, if you get a full blown male from any feminized seed line, take pictures of it and send it to yeah, me. Yeah, that's true. If it's from feminine seeds and somebody in the chat I saw was talking about getting a couple, like they'd grown 500 fem seeds recently. It would be interesting if those males were, were genetic males or if they were just sort of presenting as males. Yeah, I think they might be presenting as males, which is a weird anomaly that we won't get too into the weeds with. But uh, it is interesting that it, it may exist. But for the most part, um, I would assume most people that find what they think are male in feminized seeds are usually having a female that got really stressed out and might have her been hermaphrodite. Uh, so that is something to consider that cannabis, even uh, femmes, have hermaphrodites. And some people for a long time felt that femmes had a higher likelihood of hermaphrodism. And I think that might have been due to how it was bred in the early 90s. Like Dutch Passion and a few others, there was a guy, Soma Seeds, who did like rotalization where he would go in there with like a lighter latent flower and like hold it next to the plants to like stress them out and stuff like how Brandon did, like flowering it past its finish date to get the plant to intentionally herm and using that pollen to make stuff like Limerilla and, and other some other strains. Um, so some people theorize that there was a higher incidence of hermaphrodism. I haven't seen any data to actually support that. But I think that if there were, maybe it was because they were breeding with the plants that were most likely to flip underneath stress. And in those cases, like I said earlier, like begets like. So if you are taking the first one that shows nanners or the first one that flips underneath some sort of weird stressor, like a light cycle in flower, if you don't have it completely dark during the dark cycle and like light starts beaming in like little pinhole lights from the sun, that'll usually cause hermaphrodism in a lot of different strains. And so, yeah, this is, I want us to make a point. I'll let you finish, but I'm getting all anxious. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
those things, when that happens, maybe like five out of 10 plants in the room will herm. And then the seeds from that, there's a case where like uh, six, uh, seven out of eight growers on Dr. MJ's website grew a dark ghost train haze and seven out of the eight people found herms. So that strain itself just had lots of herms in it. But then Chef Anna, or not Chef Anna, uh, Chef OMJ, he grew out the offspring. And I believe that he found no hermaphrodites in the offspring of that really heavily herm populated, you know, seed. So it, it's weird and it doesn't always work how you might think. And right. it may just be like generation skipping type of, of behavior too. That, that is kind of the point that I wanted to make though, is a lot of new growers are thinking about our, our people that are just getting started. One of the reasons that I end up talking to a lot of people that are just getting started or just started a few weeks ago is because they found some seeds in their cannabis bag from the dispensary and or from their buddy or from wherever and they decided to, you know, pop them into in a pot and now they're growing and now they want to learn how to like take care of them. Um, just be aware that those seeds probably came from, first of all, they're probably female because they probably came from a, a female only flower room where one of the plants was stressed or went too long or for whatever reason through pollen, like hermed and, and through some pollen and pollinated that plant and created a couple of seeds. Um, so they're feminized seeds, but they're probably likely to herm um, just because they came from a herm. And especially if it was like dispensary weed, like they weren't trying to make herms. They weren't doing anything special like with their lights or they probably weren't light leaks. I mean, I don't know, maybe there was a crappy grow, but generally they, they've got their stuff together so that it, it's a plant that it's probably gonna herm on you too. I mean, that's just sort of my my words of caution. And if it does harm on you, it's not your fault. Okay, because like it it, it was this was going to happen. I mean, it would have harmed on on any of us. So this is really why we buy seeds, um, so we can have a better chance of not having some sort of random bag seed that's just going to harm, throw pollen, cause us headaches. Um, I see it a lot. Like growers show up like, Hey, I started growing a couple of weeks ago. I found these seeds and you know, how do I do this? And now I want to start investing. And I'm just like, this like, okay, it may harm on you. It's awesome that you're getting into the hobby, but be aware of that. Yeah. I sometimes joke. It's almost like playing with fire. This is what's colloquially is called like bag seed in our community. Uh, you find it in your bag usually or jar or whatever you buy it in nowadays, but it was called bag seed still probably is called bag seed nowadays. And uh, I agree with doc. Don't beat yourself up if you do grow that and it herms. Um, that is why we buy seeds and, and recommend good breeders who put in time and work and effort to make better stuff um, yeah. and intentional stuff. But with that being said, sometimes there are like really fire. We talked about GG4 earlier. That was actually a bag seed. Uh, Josie had some really fire cuts and, you know, really fired plant fi hermed onto another really fired plant. And then they grew out some of the offspring. The number four was the GG4. Chem dog, if you're into chem dog. He knew at least those were plants he was growing though. I mean, it didn't just show up in a bag that he bought from somebody, you know, I, I see where you're growing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a risk. So just realize that you're taking a risk. Yeah. I just, I think it's like, um, you're much better off to just buy Donnie Burger seeds and guarantee yourself some fire than to like hope your bag seed is the next chem dog because there's been millions and millions of bag seeds that have been out there from like Mexican brickweed to whatever bag you're buying from, you know, US, Canada, wherever you're at. Um, 
And a lot of people grew them out and a lot of people actually found Herms and really crappy stuff and didn't find the GG4s. But then there was like Girl Scout cookies. There was OG Kush. There was, you know, Chem Dog. There was a whole lot of them that makes it kind of tempting yep. to be like, oh, maybe. And, and some people even this is, again, like another into the weeds theory that I don't want to get too deep into because we've got a lot of new growers listening. But there are a very small percentage of growers in the community that I would say believe that like all of the best strains do, in fact, come from hermaphrodism. And maybe that hermaphrodism brings some sort of special quality or trait. But I personally sure. think that's a little far fetched. And it's I have seen some intentional breeding kill it when you have a full cabinet, right? When your cabinet's full of jars um, and all your jars are full. You can play games like grow bag seed and go on these crazy pheno hunts looking for the next GG4 or Donnie Burger or whatever it is, right? Um, but if this is your first run, like let's try to get, you know, a, a good single up the middle and get on base. Like let's not try to like be swinging for the fences and, and hitting a home run. Like let's get on base. Let's start loading up the cabinet. Let's get your jars full. Once you get your jars full, have fun. I think that's sound advice because as home growers, we want to ensure that people continue to grow. And there's nothing worse than somebody who buys a lot of equipment, materials, and then they get into it and then they get punched in the gut with like, I hate to say, oftentimes it's a pest issue. So don't sleep on Matthew. He's been quiet over there. We haven't talked a lot about pests and stuff and we don't want to scare people away from the, the start, but it's good to know basic things in your area. If you look up other cannabis growers in your area, see what they're dealing with or just listen around, what are they dealing with and how to treat it and beat it and prevent it if you can. Um, starting from seed, growing with all new materials. If you do pretty much like what you're taught by a reputable source, I'd say there's a decent chance you'll find success in maybe your first run. I've seen some people come out of the gate and literally crush it, grow fire, first grow. Some people, Absolutely. it takes a little while. I was one of those people. Like My first run was okay. I grew some... Actually, it, the quality of the smoke ended up great. The, it didn't look great, but the smoke ended up delicious and it got me nice and medicated. So it was a win in the end. But I was one of those people who needed to learn a little bit of the uh, plant handling, like overwatering, underwatering. I think everybody sort of goes through it with any gardening and, and cannabis was the first thing that I gardened. So I had a mentor my first time with deep water culture and it was like more of like a robotic automated system. And like, I was just sort of like the water boy and I didn't have to know everything. So I got into like the thought of like, oh, this is like maybe kind of easy. Like it's all cruising and like we're just smashing at every run and we can make little adjustments here and there. But then when it was all on me, like I was the head grower, you know, I, I picked the harvest time, I picked the nutrients, I picked the pot size, the lighting, everything. Um, it came down to like, there was mistakes that I was making that I didn't have the opportunity to even make in the other setup. And you have to learn sometimes through experience, sometimes through listening to shows like this and uh, maybe helping having us help you avoid some of the mistakes that we made, like maybe growing in too small of a pot, maybe giving too much nutrient because you're watering it too infrequently, like in cocoa. Uh, if you're in a small pot, let's call it a one gallon, and you're only watering every two or three days uh, because you think I need to lift the pot because I read somewhere that I need to lift the pot and wait till it gets light. Um, you're using a soil grower's mentality in a hydroponic grower's environment, and that mistake will lead to things like your nutrient amount. There's a thing called EC electrical conductivity rising to a point where it gets so salty that the plant isn't able to even take up water, let alone the nutrients. And your plant gets locked out. And you'll think, because as a new gardener, you're like, it looks like it doesn't have enough nutrients because it, you know, it's starting to turn yellow. And I found this nitrogen deficiency looks like this or whatever. So you're going to start giving it more nitrogen or more of this or more of that. But oftentimes you might not realize that 
you just got the EC way too high and you could have just benefit from watering it every single day and keeping the EC into a proper range and maybe even having an EC meter or a PPM meter, even if that's what you prefer or use. But uh, ultimately it's just converting usually the same thing. Um, but yeah, there's mistakes that we all make that sometimes you have to do yourself and sometimes you can listen to a podcast. And I know some people are able to learn from others and other people have to actually do it themselves <laughs> firsthand and just uh, learn from the mistakes. So I'm glad that we're able to share a lot of the things that have helped us get through things like that. But it's a uh, one of those things that I think from the outside looking in, you could think, oh, it's really difficult. But then some people think, oh, it's really easy because like we're always told, like we call it weed. We're told it's a weed. And uh, so some people get into the mentality, oh, it's a weed so I can just do whatever and I'll survive. And at the same time, yes, like there is ditch weed and like hemp and stuff. It grows all over America and it's not anything that you would want to smoke. So the real factor is like if you want something to be tasty and potent and uh, usually what you're looking for and, and people buy at the dispensaries and things like that for most of our listeners out there, if you want a highly desirable cannabis, you're going to want to get it to a point where you can cultivate it to be happy and healthy for the majority of its run. And uh, that's going to provide you ultimately something you, maybe even better than anything you've ever had access to because so often the plant and we'll get into um, harvest and, and post harvest here in a little bit after we do have a quick question that we'll take from let's be buds but um i want to talk a little bit about the post harvest and all that stuff because a lot of uh, the stuff that people myself included when i was in ohio i was getting stuff called beasters it was from british columbia it was imported after they would dry sift it so dry sifting is where they take the bud and they bounce it over screens and they like take a lot of the material that's desirable off they make hash out of the bud and then they take that bud that they hashed which like they removed a, a big percentage of the stuff that we like and enjoy and then they would sell it to dumb kids like me in the u.s uh for you know way too much money and uh it's embarrassing but it happened and so that bud was not fresh it wasn't uh the highest quality and it went through processes that you would never do to your own bud and a home grow and granted that's probably not happening as often anymore um even at a dispensary, it sits on a shelf. It might sit in the sunlight. It might not be in air conditioning. So if it gets too hot, like above 68 degrees Fahrenheit, then it starts to lose some of its desirability. It can literally cook off some of the flavorful things that make the highs enjoyable from cannabis. So it's important to realize that you actually have the potential to grow something better than you've ever smoked. Like that is going to be the case for a lot of home growers because you're used to, maybe you're in a red state, maybe you're in a legal market that just became legal like Ohio. I'm from there. The weed was garbage. I moved out to California where they had 1996. It was medically legal to grow. You know, there was loopholes and ways to get it up to like 99 plants for people. And there was access to medical cannabis here for decades before Ohio got it. So when I came out here as an Ohioan, I had access to 50 strains at every dispensary I went to versus like one or two strains that I could get from like the plug on the street in Ohio. And I, it was, there's no indica sativa or strain. It was like, I got some weed and it's this much per eighth or this much per ounce. And it's a whole different experience when you really know what the genetic lineage is. Here's parent X, here's parent Y. And this is why it's special. This is what it might taste like. This is some of the effects it might have on you. So those things are all really, uh, amazing to have access to as a home grower. So even though it might seem like a really tall mountain to climb, it's important to realize that there's a, a huge thing for you to gain at the end of it. One, you're self-empowering with being able to create your own medicine, but two, you're educating yourself on uh, maybe something that's brand new to you. I know for a lot of uh, people, cannabis is the first thing to grow. So with that said, I think uh, I want to get to Let's Be Bud's question, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit about harvesting, drying, and curing after that. 
unless uh, anybody else has more. I have something to say, I have something to say before we or after we get the question done. We should do the question first. But I have a cool little research report we can spend five minutes on about okay. triploidy and cannabis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, let's be buds. Asks, does sex start to show first at the bottom or the top of the plant? I think uh, it's like everything in cannabis. It's always different, but average, I see, notice it towards the top more often. I, I'm thinking about this question when I saw it there. I think every sort of male flower that I found like on herms were like in the middle or in the lower part of the plant. So that's where I tend to kind of like maybe pay more attention. Uh, but I, I mean, I think that's herms, not males per se or females per se. I think that's a good, you were both yeah. correct in that statement. I think that um, the general sex of like the plant, if it's a female, like, and even growing males when I'm making seeds, I tend to notice like Spartan right at the top, closest to the light. That's where you're going to start to see the pistols popping first. That's where you're going to start to see the um, pollen sacs forming first as well. But with herms, I actually think part of the reason some of them form, like Doc is saying in the middle or bottom of the plant, is maybe they don't have enough light. Maybe they don't have enough airflow. And because of that, the stress on that part of the plant during a hormonal change, maybe early flower, um, it causes the plant to throw a pollen sac or two or a hundred or whatever it is. But um, it tends to be, like he's saying, underneath the canopy. And like a lot of people will say, uh, I talked about it earlier, Girl Scout cookies. It's also called the forum cut because there was a guy who passed it around the forums called Always Be Flowering. Um, but that cut in particular, I know very familiarly because two of my best friends grow it here. It's fire. It helps my arthritis. It's great. It's really popular. But if you don't trim up the bottom third to quarter of the plant on the lower where you take off like a lot of the leaves, then it will hurt almost every single time. And um, even like a guy I know had been growing it for almost a decade had that happen to him after like nine years, never having it happen once. He just got a little like behind on his cultivation and didn't clean up the lower portion. And then boom, everything was seeded with forum cut Girl Scout cookie in his whole entire room. So it's uh, one of those things that can happen even to experienced growers and always, I believe, looking at the bottom, you know, third or quarter of the canopy during the first few weeks of flower, especially regs, fems, whatever you're growing, even autos. I think it's important across the board in that stage, especially to look for potential herms to potentially pluck or remove entirely. Yeah. But again, I'm growing fem seeds and I'm thinking I'm really, I just on the lookout for herms. If I was growing reg seeds, I agree with Spartan. I'd be looking at the the crowns and seeing, looking for the pistols to kind of head up. Does anybody else have thoughts on that one? Because we do have another question. I thought it was an extension of the first question, but it looks like a additional one. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning with Spartan. Like near the, the top three nodes team is where I usually see first. And uh there's there something else I was thinking. I forgot what it was now. Talking about herms, maybe in the lower parts of the canopy. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh well I've seen herms everywhere, but they and they do hide. But like that's yeah, I don't know. I, I won't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a good point. The fact <clears throat> that they hide that that little nanner I showed earlier. When you're looking at it on a screen with a photo that was taken of it, you know where they knew exactly where it is. It's a lot easier to see when it's on a bud in your back of your tent. If you have a four by four and one of the walls is up against a wall, 
and that yeah. zipper that opens up, you don't have access to it. So like you only get back there like once a month. Uh, that plant is probably going to be the one that throws that banana that you don't see that pollinates the entire tent. So uh, word to the wise, when you are setting up your tents or your grow rooms or your spaces, make it convenient for yourself to be able to get in and out and work on your plants. Some people put them on casters or on wheels so they can roll them in and out. Some people have a little lazy Susan. They could, you know, take their plant, set it down on a thing and spin it all the way around and look at it. There's a lot of different approaches, but I think that you should be hands-on with your plant and eyes on your plant every single day. It's sometimes called crop scouting in the integrated pest management side of things. It can help you uh, find pests early on and potentially stop them from ruining your crop. It can help you find herms early on and stop them from ruining your crop and molds, mildews, other things. Like if you don't have enough airflow, you might notice it like, oh, this plant looks like it's wilting or I'm seeing spots on these leaves or something looks a little off here. So pay attention and ask questions. A lot of us are happy to help. If you DM us, uh, I know Matthew has a Patreon for Sentinel for IPM stuff. He has so many people reaching out all the time. They have a community over there of people that if you ask about what is this pest, you know, he or somebody else will get back to you very quickly and uh, potentially be able to get you on a grow saving track. So that's something that is worth definitely considering. And um, I remember what I was going to say now. Go for uh, it. Concerning the seeds and the clones, uh, Buddy Lee, well, but yeah, kilowatt, whatever. He had mentioned that, um, yeah, and I've noticed it at least significantly with one strain that. You know, you grow up from seed and then you take cuttings. And when you grow up the cuttings, they structurally grow quite different. And there's a variance there. So I thought that was interesting. And I should point that out. And uh, yeah, if you let me share a screen, I'll show you where that, like, herms can really, um, if you're starting from seed with questionable genetics, you really have to be, like, on your game and, and hunting almost on the daily. Because, yeah, when, when I mention hide, I mean, like, they really hide. Literally on the daily. And I just made it so multiple participants can share screen at once. Sorry, I forgot to do that yeah. at the beginning of the show. So you can they, go ahead, They share. know we don't like them. So they tried, you know, they're out in the open until they hear the zipper go down on the tent. The and then scamper to the back. Is so this yeah, a video, Tao? Yeah, I have my hit play again. So yeah. See, it looks like old female, right? Yeah. When you move that one leaf there, you can see that there's a male flower hiding right underneath there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're sneaky. It's right there. So, and like that, and if you just, if you didn't, if I wasn't in on that, if I wasn't on that, like supplies on shit, I would have never noticed it. And, uh, but and do you see these, like, I've also noticed that hermaphrodites, they have a weird, some of them have weird hair structure on the female hairs. They, they just look, they just don't look right. So I was going to say that. So. Yeah, I haven't paid that much attention. They don't yeah. look right in what way? Like, how are they different than a typical female? <laughs> well, just they're different. Like, um, the ones definitely seem thinner and maybe a little frag, um, frizzier, frizzy. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've seen a ton of herms. I mean, I have a whole... So you see that in advance, maybe? And you're like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, you see the herms look a little like funny. a couple days then... later, it herms? No, well, I see the hairs look funny, and then I investigate the plant like this one exactly, like this one that I just showed. Interesting. Yeah, and it ends so up being it's a um, signal. Yeah, it could be a signal. Yes, it's funny you say that because my buddy, who's actually in Ohio, shout out to Dave. He's a uh, fucking I can uh, crazy Dave. I, I won't say his actual Instagram, but he's a Ohio grower, and he has said for a long time, thick hairs 
are preferable to him. He likes a, a bud that looks like it has like thicker stigmas or thicker pistols. And for whatever like, reason, they do better and don't tend to harm for him. Yeah. I'm telling you. It's true. Like, the thin cheese. pistols are herms. Or, or even I like mean, just look I'm at that. Make observations on this. Yeah. Point. Uh, I'm curious to start like documenting because generally I feel like a healthy plant has robust, thicker. You can see the hairs there, right? And that, ooh, that picture right there. They, yeah, yeah. They don't look normal. They look a little curly. Or fr- and it's, or... it's curly while it's white, which is weird. Before it's even turning orange, it's already starting yeah. to grow. Yes. I'll yes. give you, they look a little yeah. bit, they look a little bit damaged. Like maybe they got bumps. Yes. Yeah, this is my little folder of all the herms that I ended up taking pictures of. Interesting. You got yeah, some great people. Weird pink there, man. If you're taking pictures of your herm plants and you keep them in a folder like that, no. grow I, tip, I, people. I, you're gonna take a lot was, of pictures of your plants, so uh, make folders right. for each grow, so that you can go back and find pictures yeah, of the Donnie Burger grow that you killed on. Categories of pictures, yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, though you see those double, and this is like the, the classic nanners. That bud's done, but you can see the uh, yeah. the nanners in that in that bud right there. Or relatively good. done. And that's yeah. a problem if you have a perpetual grow where you have stuff in different stages. Where if it's that late in flower, and all of your plants are that late in flower, I almost feel like it's not going to really seed your plants because it's too late to really make a seed. Uh, and at look this at that. point, that's, that's like... going to pollinate that <laughs> bud that's right next to it, and probably several around it. For new growers, a tiny bit of pollen, like a, a thimble, I believe, has like up to a, a million, maybe a billion grains of pollen. So a very tiny amount of pollen can make a shit ton of seeds. So that's that's a almost looks seeds. like a real banana. Yeah, it yeah. just takes one pollen grain to that looks pollinate. That like such a, a problematic bud right there, my God. But yeah, though, it didn't make seeds. So I, I kept a couple of them like that with the nanners very late. I kept around for a little while, but yeah. When you see like the resin contact, that stuff's not even near mature. And I caught the arms like that shit's resiny, man. Yeah. Those are helpful pictures, Tal. Thanks for sharing. You can definitely see like that's male. That's like, yeah. And you can see the differences. Like this is a whole cluster almost coming out. I did have a couple that were totally up and down. Every bud had had, uh, male flowers on it. Right. Maybe not. Oh, this is the male. See, I thought this was a male. Speaking of male hermaphrodites, but when I switched over, oh to my lighting, gosh, that's one of the worst worms I've ever male. seen. Yeah. Oh. Wow. That started out as a male, and then when I brought it under an LED light and changed. Oh, the this hours, is a this is a male. Okay, this like is a, the male hermaphrodite, yeah. right? That so is how male herms look. Through a few female flowers. See, it's all male. Then when I switched it into an LED light and changed the lighting, it all shot out all that female. That's crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. I hated it. This is wow. not what you want your is plants it? to the look plant like. The plant looks happy no. as hell, too. Like, look at the plant. Yeah, the plant dude, is happy as all get out. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is going to be a good male. And then, bam. It was like, this is a was it? Chaz. Wow. Yeah. So, there's some photographic evidences of hermaphrodism. A little bit of the red streaking, which I find is common when you switch over to LED. The plants typically are not necessarily ready for a more intense lighting a lot of the oh, times. Yeah, that was one of my first times that I would use an LED, too, yeah. That might have Oh, do you think do you blasted the them with a much higher PPFD? Yes, I think maybe that, that what did it, maybe even. Yeah. But it just did it so aggressively. I was like, I'm never going to use this, this plant for breeding yeah, or anything. 
No, yeah, that plant gets burned in a big fire. We had a question from uh, our first episode where we did this. A lot of really good feedback. A lot of people really seem to like it. Um, one of the people, and it almost seems like they're coming from a HPS perspective. So I think Doc might be the person because he's really run the numbers on a lot of this. Um, but they were like, can you look at the cost to replace an entire fixture versus the cost of like replacing bulbs? And my understanding is like HPS bulbs should be replaced as often as like every grow, at least every six months. Some people do once a year, but even at that rate, uh, at the lowest once a year, your costs are going to skyrocket. And the electrical and costs, just like... sort of one small aspect of the cost. I mean, so yeah, um, I don't think it's the most significant aspect of sort of running your HID lighting. The additional electricity you need to buy because your lighting is much less efficient than it could be um is going to be more expensive for most growers than the bulb cost but like add to it right um especially now that the cost of leds themselves have come down so much it's really not that that they're not any more expensive anymore to buy new like so buying a new hps is like the same price as buying a new LED fixture. Um, and you're gonna, yeah, you save in several ways. Like the headlights put out more heat because they're running more electricity to get the same amount of light. So you're running more electricity to get the same amount of light. You have to pay for that electricity and you have to offset that heat some way, oftentimes with cooling, which you have to pay for sort of more electricity on that side of it too um the distribution is worse usually you're not actually running so much more electricity you're just getting less light so you're going to have smaller harvests in the same amount of space than you otherwise could do um but we get spoiled i think now with leds because it, it it's there's a lot of challenges with running uh the HPS bulb in a tent, especially in a smaller scale that you just don't have to deal with in the same way with, with LEDs. They do make some smaller HID bulbs, like the um, ceramic metal halide is what I started most recently with when I got back into growing. Um, when I first started growing, it was HPS because that was basically what was available at the time. Uh, the LEDs were at that point in the early 2000s, not where they are today. Um, it's much more in yeah, LEDs favor. Absolutely. Brandon's growing under some LEDs right now and you can see some beautiful buds. I'll spotlight those for just a second. When and, I first uh, started talking to people about growing cannabis and when I published the book and all that, like we were recommending HPS bulbs to growers. I mean, that was still the most efficient, sort of most cost efficient option um, up until like 2018, 2019 is when that kind of switched over. Um, and the cost came down enough on the LEDs that it just there was no longer a, a purchase price advantage and you were going to recover your costs pretty quickly by going with the more expensive LEDs. LEDs have just continued to get cheaper and HIDs haven't, they've been kind of plateauing. Um, and yeah, they're literally, it's the same cost per micromole of light now. I've seen my buddy uh, in the Chicago area, it gets cold there and like he'll he is a primary led grower but he has implemented these 150 watt um cmhs 
because they put off so much heat that in his area of his house for his winter grows, he'll break out the CMHs literally to like warm it and get a little extra light. I'm more of a fan of running a heater personally to get it to the ideal uh, thing. But yeah. he personally likes the something about those CMHs. They grow fire, man. Like I know they're not quite as efficient as LED and you can definitely grow fire under LED. I do think that something about the HID bulb makes like a little slightly different bud structure or the plant reacts differently to it because it's like a harsher environment, like that amount of heat that is being hitting the plant. It almost makes There's it like a rounder bud. Energy. For sure. There's more infrared energy and, and there may be, I mean, all the, the studies that Bug Bee's lab has done on altering ratios of spectrum to try to change floral morphology haven't produced any kind of results like that. So it's more likely that you're looking at something caused by the radiated heat that, that's put out by the, the bulbs. And my argument is absolutely going to be that the LED with less radiated heat is going to grow better quality bud than the, the HID lights with more radiated heat coming out of them. Um, as far as using the lights for the heat, yeah, you know... The reason you get away with that is because they're less efficient. Um, it's not that HID lights put out more heat per watt. They just put out less light. So you need more watts and then they end up putting out more heat because you have more power. Like if you added 300 watts of CMH lights to that grow, or if you added 300 watts of LED light to the grow, it's going to add the exact same amount of heat to the grow. It, it, it there's watt per watt there's no difference between led and cmh or hps or any other lighting about how much heat they make the difference is when we use more efficacious light sources we can use less watts and less watts means less heat and if you need to add heat back every i mean every grower i think that thinks about it for more than 10 seconds would rather have heat that they could control independently of the light like you know, there are times when you want the heat, maybe when you don't want the light or when you want the light and you don't want the heat, like having them necessarily sort of tethered together. It's hard for me to, to sort of give any kind of rubber stamp to that argument that it, it makes sense to run CMH lights for a, a heat management reason. I think it would be make more sense. And maybe if it's just the technology that you have and you're, purposing the the equipment that you have for the task at hand sure but if you're buying right. and setting up a grow that's not how i would set it up yeah Honestly, like the only time it makes sense is if you have to go buy a heater because you don't have one <laughs> and you can just plug this thing in for now to do something to give you a little bit of heat until you can get a heater it's like i can understand then but not long term yeah i, I think can't this... see that jack on the graphic that you're showing what is the the relative wattage going into the the hps and the cmh so this is a CMH versus LED, and this is Migro, who I believe he's comparing a 220 watt. It was uh, he set the lighting to be equal with his yeah, LED so versus his CMH. He was providing both of them, and this is exactly my situation that I was in. I was growing in a small tent with a 315 CMH, like you're seeing here on the left. You see 29 Celsius. That's too hot for cannabis to be grown, in my opinion. Um, yeah. It creates a difficulty for the grower. You have to have more air movement. You have to have more uh, climate regulation. Now, with a LED of you know similar light output, I was running 220 watts, again, from a different brand of LED. So I dropped from a 315 to a 220, which I added a little bit of extra light on. So I'm 
closer to like 250 uh, watts when yeah. I'm at max. And Can I take an issue with how Migros presenting this information here? I just wanted to make you one point that? first and then I'll let you make yeah, that statement. Ahead. But what I noticed from the grower's perspective in my tent with a, only a five foot ceiling and uh, you know running too much light in my tent, because I was running a nine square foot light, 315 CMH, it's meant for a three by three in a three by one and a half, which is five square feet versus nine square feet. So I was running way too much light for way too little area. The CMH, the way that it's throwing the heat down, like you can see here on the left, that put it into the plant zone where the LEDs, the heat is coming off of the back of the plant, uh, the lights where the heat sinks are, it drifts off the top of, so even though they're both putting the same amount of heat into, and if the, if it was 300 watts versus 300 watts, they'd both be putting the same it's amount of heat. It's not. In Jack, this case, so it's not, the, which is an important point That's the problem with it. Uh, and that's the problem with a lot of the ways that CMH and, and LED manufacturers are the ones that do this. That's why I don't like mind grow doing this because wait, don't scroll on that, please. Because you just scroll past the note that I was going to read LED grow lights. It's right at the bottom. He said produce 60% less heat than the equivalent HPS grow light systems. I think that that it's marketing babble. I don't, I don't think that that, and, and this chart should include how much wattage is going into this. So he's putting what 315 on the left and and 200 on the right is that 220 right, i think it was a micro i think that they have the actual systems i, I found it from a video so like 100 more watts into the tent on the left like that has to be noted so the reason that it's giving 60 percent less heat is because it's taking 60 percent less power like and and that's my point and and that number would have to be the same so if it's actually producing 60% less heat, it's actually dr being driven on 60% less power. Otherwise, he's not measuring it correctly or whatever else. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really, I have a problem with trying to present things in such a way because you're you're trying to sort of make your product look good. And that's not, I mean, that's not what's really going on there. LEDs don't actually produce less heat. And every grower has this idea that LEDs produce less heat than CMH does or that HIDs, uh, you know, HPS does or whatever. And they don't. They, they, why, this is physics. Dad, this is like the conservation of energy and matter. No, no. Yeah, yeah, but they produce less heat, but, but generate the same amount of light. And that's what he means by uh, this, you know, it's the same amount of light produced, but it's, Less heat using LED. Sure. That's to get a thousand not, at the canopy. The, right. That's what you have to. Right. Add. If you're getting the same amount of light, then that's a, a, a sure. And you can talk about that, but you're skipping well, sort of an important part because yeah, it's right. going through the the heat comes from electricity, the light comes from electricity. Mm -hmm. The heat doesn't really come from the light. They're both sort of products of the same factor which is power and growers need to just know if you have 300 watts worth of lighting you're going to get 300 watts worth of heat if you have 500 watts worth of lighting you're going to get 500 watts worth of heat if you have a cmh or an led or whatever it doesn't matter if you go from 600 watt hps to a six watt led you're going to have exactly the same amount of heat you're going to have more light but you're going to have exactly the same amount of heat and this is an idea trust me most growers don't understand but the thing is, most growers go from like a thousand watt HPS to like a 700 watt LED or an 800 watt LED or less. So they are dropping the total electrical load on their four by four or five by five that they're growing in or whatever their space is. Right. They'll get multiples of that thing. And so I do think that it's important to note that he produced and sold both products. The CMH he was testing was a micro CMH. 
he was selling both of these products on his website side by side. So he was okay. saying, you know, I provide both of these. If you want the cheaper CMH, here are the factors that come and, into play. And he does try it. to do straight up sort of side by side comparisons, but there's a, it, it's just not the way to present it. I, I think it's he's more presenting it as though the LED somehow produces less heat, either the same amount of power. Um, it's more it, concentration of heat, like the same amount of heat in there, but it's concentrated in the in the wrong spot. Like with the CMH, it's more closer to a one point of light system, whereas the LEDs you spread it out to multiple points of light, and so that heat distribution is a lot better throughout too, and easier to deal with. You don't have a particular hot spot that over twelve hours, eighteen hours builds up really hot. Especially the LEDs now with the bar style, that spread them out even more. You know what I mean? Right. Than the boards. The fixtures yeah, themselves seem a little that. safer too. Like touching, uh, bumping into a bulb. Like I feel like you really burn yourself, like permanent scarring. And if you bump into an LED fixture, it's like, ow, that's hot. But I, I'm not going to be scarred for life usually. Um, right. Not a good idea to touch a hot light, no matter what. But um, certainly a consideration is, is the bar lights, especially, seem like they do a really good job of mitigating and managing the heat in a way that they're spread out spreading it out like that's really one of the big advantages of them is that the diodes are all spread out so much that there's more sort of surface area to lose the heat from um to lose it into the air so it, it moves from the fixture itself into the the gross space right so it's heating up the gross space um you know it, i was actually talking to led company the other day about some new designs and new styles or whatever and we're talking about the old um air-cooled hoods um one of the thermal advantages of using hps is that since it is a single point you can put it in the hood and run its own sort of uh cooling system its own airflow ducting through it and remove a lot of that heat directly so it doesn't sort of come in contact with the plants um that's something that we have a harder time doing with leds with the bar fixture in particular because where you can't put the hood like over the whole led bar fixture right so if you're thinking about like an hps light in in a ducted hood the idea there was you were running cool air and ducting that heat directly out you were still throwing a lot of infrared energy at the plants right which is heat um but you were kind of ducting a lot of that heat from the bulb like straight out of the space so it never interacted with the space with led bars you know we have the ribbed heat sinks on the back of them which are trying to let the heat go into the space kind of as quickly as possible there's a lot less uh, wattage basically you used to put a thousand watt hps for every 15 or 16 square feet in the commercial grouse so you know, a thousand watts in the area of like a four by four tent where we're running with LEDs, you know, 500 watts, maybe half. Um, but it's harder to actually manage that heat. You got to kind of control the, the whole space. Um, that was one of the reasons that HPS lights held on for a while in a lot of commercial grows that set up these ducted systems that ran high ppfd supplemented carbon dioxide and ducted hoods it was hard for leds to break into those spaces um because they were running so much light that if you put that much led into those spaces it would create too much heat that they couldn't just sort of duct out with the hoods 
I think Noah Vigro, who's not with us, actually has that style of setup where he has ducted hoods. I'm pretty sure. And I, think um, he does too. I can't remember if it made that HPS. It actually changes the efficiency of the bulb to have air flowing over it. So yeah, running it at a cooler, cooler temperature, I think it makes it a more efficient light. But you run about 100 watts to that fan that is ducting, right? So you change your 1,000 watt HPS, which is actually drawing like 1,060 or 1,070, and then you add another 100 and change for the, the circulation fan just for the ducting, and you're running 1,200 watts for your lighting. Uh, it starts to add up pretty quickly. In terms of the efficacy, then you have to divide all 1,200 of those watts, right, by how much light you get. Um, and it, it with LEDs, you don't have to do any of that. You get the same amount of light with about 600 watts and just 600 watts and you're done. Well, and LEDs have a really, really long uh, run life. They're pretty durable. I mean, most LEDs at this point, if something does go wrong, the manufacturer in most cases is going to yeah. replace it or take care of it. And yeah. most cases, just nothing goes wrong. It's it's fairly simple. If it's well-made, uh, if you get it from a reputable company, I have some, some LEDs shorts, that have run for times. years. I see, I see probably more of the issues come back because a lot of growers buy lights and then they contact me when they have issues or whatever. Um, you get some shorts, you get some LED panels go out. I agree. Most of the manufacturers are pretty good with um, putting them back together. You don't have just like diodes burning out through time. They will drop off in efficacy through the years. Um, so if you get just enough lighting to begin with, you know, maybe you're not going to have enough lighting five, 10 years from now. But, you know, a lot of a lot of times what growers do now is they buy a light and they plan to run it at like 80 percent or whatever. Um, and then you can just crank it up as it loses its efficacy through the years but yeah absolutely it's not like replacing the hps bulbs or the you know mh bulbs i think also like if you want to like expand your veg space or like use it as like a seedling light later on if it's not quite as efficient but you don't need that high intensity or like it to be cranking in the space like you could dim it down yep. uh, running it dimmed makes it last even longer like doc was saying so running at 80 percent, the fixture is going to last even longer than if you run it at the 100 which even then like most of them i think are rated for like three or like five years of pretty much like constant growing in flower and veg and yep. you know by the time that three or five years is up it's like cell phone technology. Your light is going to be so outdated. You're probably just going to want the new one anyway because it's got better Absolutely. features. For Maybe it's got a better remote. Maybe it's got better spectrum tuning or maybe it's a better yep. spread. Like we saw, I currently have cobs, which are like a chip on board. It looks like a little ball like this, but there's like hundreds of little diodes packed into one tight space. There was sort of a race. They thought, is it going to be the cob? Like the I picked wrong. <laughs> I'll admit it. There was quantum boards at the time. Like... um that were a thing there were bars but they weren't as prominent they hadn't taken out like fluence was one of the early ones on the market and my grow space is actually why i chose what i chose because the fixture sizes a lot of the bars and, and quantum boards at the time didn't fit my tiny little tent so i needed a cob fixture i got a little two cob fixture that fit into my grow space and so i ended up tacking on little like rings that changed the spectrum a little bit and uh, added a little bit more even lighting but it was uh at a time where I saw there was a company, I don't think they're still making stuff. Um, and I don't mean to like disparage them, but like, I think they called their thing like the Canon. It was like a pirate theme. He was like a guy who would come on the grow shows and it was like a big, his uh, heat sink looked like a literal Canon. It was like a big black uh, pipe. It was a huge yeah. light. It was basically like trying to replace HPS, like with one big oh. single source of light at the center that just yeah, black down. sail, black sail. 
Yeah. Yep. So Black Sail is the lighting company that I'm referring to. And there was a point where I think, and I'm sure some physicists knew this, but like a lot of us growers were like, what's going to win? I was one of them. I was like, yeah. what is going to be the most efficient? Is it going to be a bunch of these black sail cannons hanging in commercial grows? Or is it going to be a bunch of bar lights? Is it going to be a bunch of quantum boards? Like we're now seeing, I think the bar lights really have taken the, the day. You know what drove that really is LED adoption in other areas. Um, you know, it, growers aren't the only ones that are using LEDs. So these single chip diodes um, became sort of much less expensive as they became ramped up production for, for mainstream viewing. Oh, you disappeared with that, Jack. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, yeah, like LEDs are in everything now. Like most of the lighting in my house is LED lighting, you know, um, like TVs are LED lighting, like street lights are now LED lighting. Um, like in stadiums now, oh my God, you used to go to a stadium and they'd use HPS lights and big boards and it would take them like half an hour to like light the boards up, right? And if anything ever happened to those lights, it would, you know, when the stadium went dark, it would take like half an hour for the lights to come back on. And that happened a few times. Now they use LEDs and the damn stadiums are doing like these, these light shows where the whole stadium turns red and then orange and stuff. And they like put everybody in the dark immediately. They used to never be able to do that. Like LEDs are just sort of much more dynamic, but they're, they're being used everywhere. So um, the cost per unit has just got driven down. That's why grow lights are becoming more expensive is the diodes themselves. And you think about it, like, most of the lights that I, I review have 2,000 to 3,000 diodes on them. Um, you know, if each diode costs a dollar, then you're going to, and they used to, you go back into the early 2000s and you get those diodes that wouldn't be as efficient and they'd cost a dollar each. Um, you're not going to build a, a efficient, sort of cost-efficient consumer model of LED light um with diodes that expensive and now they're pennies um you know and some diodes are are literally pennies um so you can put a whole lot more of them and you can sort of do a lot more of them so that change has really sort of swapped kind of what lights would win and the led bars use a lot of diodes driven at a really low current um, the cobs use fewer diodes at a much higher current. Uh, it's sort of cheaper to build initially, but as the the SMDs became um, cheaper, they'd just be able, were able to win. That and then after that, even a bigger push. Well, maybe not bigger, but a, a second push was the. I wouldn't say invent because it was already around, but the popularity of vertical farming of going up and doing these racks and things like that, where you have a little bit tighter spaces. Yeah. And so you can't really, you don't really have the vertical space to hang a light, you know, 20 feet above your plants. Well, that's an interesting question. You can't do vertical farming the way that they're doing it now with HPS Spartan. So like they used to do some vertical farming like that with lettuce and stuff like that with fluorescence, like crops that, used much lower PPFD levels. Um, but you can't, you can't put, there's not enough sort of room to let the light distribute for HPS. Um, and now you can do cannabis. Now I'm not a big advocate of the, 
the sort of multi-tier vertical setup for cannabis because I think your employees in those farms spend more time running up and down ladders than it's it's sort of worth. Um, but yeah, you couldn't even do that. So I'm not sure. Like they have to invent LEDs. little. They have to invent a little, like just like an old, like they have four truck a lift something. That's just a lift. That way you can bring a cart with you. Some places have them and lift you straight up. It's expenses. That takes time and into a huge expense. And in almost every scenario where I've actually talked to growers about this, it would have been cheaper to just buy another warehouse and double the footprint of the grow as opposed to try to stack it vertically higher and how much that sort of slows down and how that changes everything. I mean, we can go way, I've gotten way into the weeds on, on that particular conversation. It's an interesting one. I mean, there's pluses and minuses on it. But I think in most scenarios, it's going to be better to just increase the size as opposed to stack it. I think it's like um, a lot of things. It's more regulation centric that like they might be capped at a footprint. So going vertical doesn't actually count against them. So if they have a thousand square feet to cultivate, for example, then they can do three layers. They're getting, you know, 3000 square feet essentially out of it versus having that one layer grow. And in that case, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's situational. It's like plant count. So there's sometimes where stuff like that gets sort of pushed onto us. I want to introduce something really quick before Spartan gets going, because I would like to hear his thoughts on it as well as I know Doc is probably going to tear into this one because it totally goes against Bugby and many other studies. But it's just this is a citizen science. There's this individual Ohm's law on Instagram, which is like an actual thing in lighting. But he it's been in the lighting space for a little while. He made his own custom um, LEDs. And in this case, it's just two different. So you've got 2655 Kelvin versus 3600 uh, Kelvin. So you've got basically like a neutral white on the left versus like a redder white on the right, starting on both at 300 PPFD, same clones on the same uh, NFT system. And he brings down like a little layer in the middle. And I'll just kind of scroll up. We so in through. best state of growth, I would predict that the ones under the higher color temperature would grow stretchier than the ones under the, so the warmer, the one on the uh, right I should agree. grow taller than the ones on the cooler temperature, but during flowering, it's not going to make a big difference. So it looks to be the case, like the ones on the right here are slightly taller, at least to my eye on day one of flower. But then as we scroll, I guess uh, we could go every single post that he does just to, here's day seven. I'm going to kind of go through them quickly because he's already almost like later in flower and you're starting to see the differences. Is uh, there, there's a wall in between them? Yeah, there's a, a like a panda okay. film. Uh, if he's just doing sure. during flower, Jack, right, right. I don't think that you're going to see any differences reliably. Like it, it, changing the spectrum like that, and it would be better instead of just using a CCT, like just the combined color temperature to actually see the spectral curve. Like, is he getting the the redder because there's a spike at 660 or because he's pushing more of the energy towards that end of the spectrum altogether like both ways of doing that would move the color temperature down towards the red but would sort of have different effects on the plant so one of the ways that well, legs Jay, do this back one jack it's not my specialty but like uh i feel like it's a little hard to tell that information with the mark one eyeball right like people yeah, have been comparing have stuff know. for a long time doesn't that look really like it's... a lower light to the right yeah uh, it's lower light? okay well, it is affect things as well i think it's because of the uh height of the plants he had uh, he said that he's maxed out this one it's all the way up where this one they didn't grow as tall it's touching the light in the back what's he talking about yeah i guess yeah 
So I, I agree with you that, and some people do this. I, th I see this That's more often. Side? I see this more often than I would like to uh, admit, but a lot of people with bar lights, when their plants <laughs> get out of control, sometimes they let one or two grow up through the light to make it not get so much light. And they'll sacrifice like that one cola being too close for the sure. remainder of the canopy to try and make it more even. So as you see, like here, there's one that's probably, you know, fairly close to the top as well. And there's probably one or two colas on the right side that are close, but the majority of them are what he probably yeah. thinks is in the ideal range. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just, no, I understand that. <clears throat> I understand that. But when you're trying to do a, side by side side and you're trying to make the spectrum as being the variable and claim that the growth difference is due to spectrum you can't have other variables yeah intensity is going to be different and i would agree with you i think that if if and this is why it's citizen science it's not perfect yeah. not everything is controlled for and that's why we're going over it so that perfect, if they do yeah. it in the future again maybe they can be shared this clip and maybe we could give them comments and feedback and be constructively positive sure. to help influence because i do think this is closer than any other thing like you know nft system they're sharing the same nutrients it's the same clones it's as close as they could try at least yeah. on their first run so i would just want to see it in veg i don't know why we started in flower that's a good point i would have to ask them or scroll back further i don't know if they started it in veg under both light systems or not because I think they might have. If we started it and we did like 30 days in vegetative growth under the two lights, I would expect to see a difference. Flowering, I don't expect to see much of a difference there. The other thing I would like to know if he's listening to this is I already said this, but like tell us why the, the CCT is different. Let's see the spectrum curves. Um, because if if the spectrum, let me just give you the two scenarios. One way to make the the color temperature redder is to use more sulfur in your full spectrum diodes, and that throws more of the energy towards the longer wavelength light, um, and that's fine. The other way to do it is to include a bunch of 660 nanometer diodes. That just generates a, a spike of energy right at 660. Um, I can tell just it, by looking. They produce the same CCT, but they're going to be sort of different spectra to affect the plant. So this, you can see, in my opinion, clearly, the one on the right yeah. has a redder white, and it also has a certain amount of reds. It looks like they're fairly even. I don't I think you say. can tell that by the way the cameras are going to light correct and, and what might happen with the light as it's going through there. But maybe... So he would know that. I mean, most manufacturers will tell you what the color temperature of the white diodes are. Most use two. So they'll use 3000K and 5000K. And you're going to need to know what the ratio of them are. And then how many 660s and how much of the power is driven to the 660s. Because there's going to be 660 nanometer diodes in both of those lights. So... um just would be interesting to know. I, I, you know, changing the spectrum a little bit during flower. Bugby does do a lot of this. So he's done some interesting studies where they do very controlled changes to the amount of red and blue in, that the light, the plants are, are exposed to um, without seeing sort of how that makes any difference is their result. Cell does it too. In Michigan, they have something called Cell, the Controlled Environment Lighting Lab. And they have literally like all blue, all purple, all green, all red versus like 
3,000, 4,000, 4,500, 3,700. They've done like every single spectrum color that you could imagine or think of. And they've come up with what Bugby is coming up with that the spectrum changing during a flower doesn't seem to make much of a difference. Um, This is just like, I thought a fun example that maybe going around the cannabis community that people are going to be talking about. So I wanted to cover it and highlight it a little bit. And people even, I think that we're right to actually criticize it because too late. (laughs) The, uh, it's important that we give honest feedback that people come to yeah. the show because we're honest and we're critical of things that we feel could be improved. And we're all trying to improve together. It's not like we're saying we're perfect. Nobody's perfect. It's just, and on this one, for example, some people even thought the photo on the left is under like HPS spectrum. If you go into the comments, uh, HPS on left LED on right question mark from beefy farms. And a lot of people think that just by looking at it. So I think what they're trying to do or attempt to do is give it like what feels like a HPS spectrum or looks like an HPS spectrum versus like a more modern uh, LED spectra. And we're seeing just examples from, I think day 42 of flower here, they have some more close-ups, uh, some like lights out shots and stuff like that. The first one is the one on the left. The second one is the one on the right. And no, I think GML is putting a light out that can uh, do HPS identically. Like if you want to make it HPS. Yeah. I have that light in my basement right there now. There you go. Yeah. Well, and, uh, oh, you know, you know, it reminds me uh, of the output of, uh, of uh, HPS because HPS puts out a lot of energy in the longer wavelength light. So, like seven, like, are you saying like seven thirty? What's that? What wavelengths are you talking about? Like seven thirty far red? Oh, higher than seven thirty. Like yeah, seven thirty is kind of as high as we we think we need, but. HPS puts out light, you know, 800, 900 um, nanometers too. Literally infrared yeah. heat. It's like yeah, not shown on the spectrograph heat. because right, it yeah, goes yeah, yeah, yeah. Off. The, yeah, the the light that that Tao's talking about is called the Borg, and it'll it'll match the color spectrum. It's not going to match it match the IR for sure, but it does go all the way into the into the seven thirty. Yeah, the seven thirties. Yeah, and that, for a long time they were saying LED growers are saying you don't need that infrared or or red. And then the bugs be found out that it's very beneficial, didn't he? Far red is different than infrared, though. Very, right. very different. Deep yeah. red, far red are, are totally different. Well, far red is part of infrared. So anything over 700 is considered infrared. But we throw that first 50, sorry, 700 to 750 is far red. It, and it's still sort of visible to some humans. It's definitely photosynthetically active to plants. Um okay. So, yeah, Spartan's got to get going, but I can see it. Can you guys see it? I have a 730. I have a light. I can see it. Are you I guys able to see it? I can see the diode, but very, very dimly. Yeah, I it's mean, red. Like the 660 diode next to it is like bright. In the yeah, it's almost like a, it's like a pinkish red. red. It's like so light, but compared well, on, to... On several of, of the lights from GML, you've got actually all of our lights. Not all of them. Most of our lights now have it. But um, some have it on a on a on another driver, so you can dim it if you'd like to, or play with it, like turn it on after the light cycle, kind of a thing. Some people don't but, like it late in flower, for example. Right. So you, we, I've played with it with like turn off everything and just turn them on, and yeah, you can definitely see, but it's like an eerie dark red color. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yeah, that's cool. It, it's cool that you can turn on the IR the seven thirties when the re- the full channels are. Most lights that have yeah. those separate channels, they're sort of dependent on the primary channel being on in order to run the, the minor ones. Yeah, he designed mine. that to work with the, the controller, really, so that you could play with uh, uh, putting them to sleep early thing. Yeah. I, I can never think of the word, but yeah. 
but uh, for sure, with it makes it a lot easier when you have a torpor? control. Though, to People try to call that the Emerson. Might effect. use the word torpor. The Emerson effect. Torpor effect, I think, might be. Torpor effect. Okay. Yeah, Emerson effect is when it's on during the. Yeah, day. that's when you run it during the day to make yeah. the other light more efficiently uptaken. Essentially. Right. I go back and forth on this on the utility of this. We should let Spartan go, right? Yeah, Spartan. Let's get your final <laughs> thoughts and shoutouts because you got the Michigan Bros. Grow Show here in nine minutes. Yeah. Um, shout out to everybody on the panel. Awesome hanging out with everybody today. Um, shout out to Brandon, man. You didn't get to say a whole lot today, but it was cool to see your video come on a couple of times. <laughs> um, I'm always peeping you when you when you turn it on. Who knows what we're gonna see? But uh, yeah, shout out to Chat. Always supporting us. Always shouting us out. Thanks for the thumbs up. And uh, you know, you guys are the reasons we keep doing this. Much love. I'll check you guys out here in about well nine minutes now at Michigan Bros Grow Show YouTube. See you guys. Much love. Keep growing. Grow with love, Spartan. Peace and love, Spartan. Always a pleasure having you, buddy. Like for example, from an IPM perspective, even there's all these really cool things you can do with light. And one of the ones, and I think I've mentioned it a long time ago, but I knew people who were experimenting with uh, attracting certain predators or um, rather directing their movement. Um, because they were attracted to like a green color. So they were able to like keep it on and also keep it on during dusk for certain plants that for which that would be important. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, I didn't, I don't remember seeing much more of that product, but you know, that kind of stuff. I just saw a research report um, about pierced wasps where uh, they, they used um, a, a blue color. I forget the, I forget the nanometer, but um it increased their parasitation rate. And I guess it made them more active or something. Um, so that was kind of interesting. So cool things like that. Um, I'm excited about it, but um, I always wonder about how uh, deployable that is for people. How, how practical is it really? Hey, with, you know, time and studies done, I'm sure they're going to figure out like if that excites those parasitoid wasps and those are the wasps that come and kill off whatever pest you're dealing with i'd be happy to crank a little bit more blue especially as these lights become more adjustable and you know tunable and just have a little bit you know more custom ability to it um, yeah but it, is that they added it to the light for the plants or they just added it to like the surrounding area it seems like they so might have noticed it after adding it for maybe something else but i could be wrong matthew do you have any more on how they figured oh out yeah thing? no um yeah, I can even bring it up actually. But uh, basically, the spectrum of the artificial lighting. If I remember correctly, they had it in the indoor. Blues are usually like four forty nanometer, four thirty nanometer blues. The chips that are used. Yeah. Uh, here we go. There's four fifty and four forties. Most of the mo the most efficient ones are four fifty. Portion of blue light affects parasitoid wasp beaver and LED extended photo period in greenhouses. So uh, they had offspring, so sex ratio bias and increased parasitism. So probably for female. So here's a little. Uh... You can see it's literally like as that thing that we were talking about earlier, like the redness of the light scales more to the blue. You get more of the offspring ratio with blue light. That's interesting. So is it higher fecundity? They're breeding more under blue lights? Uh, higher parasitism. So they're hitting more aphids, which is oh, good. Oh, okay. And also, you always, you almost always want uh, a skewed bias towards females because you make get more wasps that way, and you get more kills that way, right? The males don't have a stinger. For those who don't know, the stinger is important for oviposition. 
um, and actually the stinger adapted from Nova Poster. Interesting thing. So, so that's, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of an interesting, and there's examples of this in other kinds of research. But yeah. Did it give the uh, 100R light? Oh, I think they gave a spectrum somewhere. Probably, yeah. I don't, uh, well, that is right here. Oh, it's like using codes, uh, two two five R seventy five B, so oh twenty five percent red, seventy five percent blue, but they're not yeah. necessarily saying exactly what the spectrum is there. Did not mean to uh, activate this. <laughs> yeah, um, I forget where it is in the paper, and I forget off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I think uh, people could make use of uh, potentially. Yeah, no, no, they're cool diagrams. I was the only one. I can't wait till we live in the you know sci-fi future where people are like blasting a little bit of blue light to rally up their parasitoid wasps to come and kill off whatever pest it is that they're dealing with. Uh, I like that. that actually, for. I think that that's maybe the the most promising application of sort of tunable spectrums in, in some of these lighting more so than the growth right yeah yeah i mean if we have the the technology to do it if there's a reason to right so oftentimes we'll create and i see this so much in the in the grow light industry is like the technology exists to do something so some manufacturer does it there's no reason to do it but like the technology exists so we can do it um, and, and tunable spectrum, to a large extent, I think is that. But th this seems like a, a, an interesting application potentially for an IPM angle on it. You're missing out on all the fantastic magic and, and things like that that are out there that people like to get into and think like, oh, if I can tune my spectrum like plasma, one of the things that was being advertised is like, you can tune it to be like, if you're growing uh, Durban, you can make it like Durban, South Africa's spectrum light like the sun. And you could look it up on some right. website and tune it to that exact thing. And I'm like, some of these gimmicks are really uh, trying their hardest for sure. And uh, sometimes you got to realize that there is a lot of sales jargon and, and marketing that goes on. And oftentimes I see that with like UV lights and things like that, I think is over pushed and promised at this point. Uh, although with that being said, there is going to be that guy, whether it's Tao or somebody else who's like, Hey, I've got this research article that says UV does this for the cannabis plant. So I'm going to put UV in my thing. Cause I believe that it does X, Y, or Z. And uh, we've talked about that on past shows. And personally, I think it's best just to get a good quality Grow light manufacturers straight spectrum. up tell me that the reason they put UV diodes in their lights is because growers are asking for them. I mean, so knock it off. <laughs> like, oh, you people <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. They, they will they make your light less durable, less efficient, and they don't have a lot saying, of things. Yeah. We want this and we'll spend money for this. Then there's going to be a manufacturer that, that builds this, even if it's not necessarily the, the best thing for the And job. at some point, you also maybe get so big. Um, you know, and this is just speculation. I really don't know how applicable this is, but like it gets to a point where like you just better have R and D just doing stuff, like like to stay ahead. You know, competitively, I, I feel that. like it's like a like a Raytheon or a Boeing, where like you're the premier. Well, why do people <laughs> buy new lights? You do, but Jack hit on this. Why do people buy new lights? It's no longer because they burn out. It, it's because right. some new fancy light comes out with a great marketing pitch. They convinces everybody that, oh, shit, my light doesn't have tunable spectrum. And if I don't have this or, you know, 
tiltable bars or whatever like the new gimmick of the week is like then i'm not going to be able to grow the the maximally fire bud that i could otherwise grow um you mean i don't need my side lighting and under lighting yeah need need is doing so much in that sentence it's carrying a heavy load the word need do you need it i don't think you need it this was companies sort of recognize i mean you know when everybody was growing in blurples or, or HPS, like there was a reason to upgrade. There was actually like much better. And there's like, if you bought a light in the last couple of years, there's not a real good reason to upgrade at this point. And there may not be a real good reason to upgrade for the next couple of lights. And that's me saying this, absolutely. Um, but manufacturers are going to want you still to like buy lights during that that period of time so they're going to try to convince you that whatever it is that they can do is like the next absolutely important thing that you better have if you want to grow the best bud i can't wait for planned obsolescence in the grow light industry like our mm-hmm. phones that die after exactly our warranties run out but with that being said this has been a great episode we're gonna have to do a part three of learn how to grow your own and get started because we we're chatting this whole two hours and took like very few questions. And I feel like we had a lively discussion the whole entire time. So I enjoyed it very much. And I look forward to continuing to get people growing, starting growing, learning about all the basics and uh, introductory stuff that you need to know and getting into the weeds sometimes too, because that can be fun for the experienced growers and even the new people to be like, what are they talking about? I need to learn. When I first started listening to this, some it take two, maybe three listens for me to understand, or maybe I wouldn't understand it for another two or three months because I didn't come across something to connect those dots. But, uh, it can be helpful to listen to stuff that might be over your head right now. And in the future, it'll all make sense. And with that being said, I want to pass it around to this wonderful panel who comes here every week. If you're uh, new to us, this is the Cheap Home Grow. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, and I'm joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it first to Dr. MJ. All right. Yeah, I enjoyed this show a lot. I hope that there are new growers out there that are getting all fired up about, you know, getting their grows started and you know hopefully this was a good place to start if you like found this you're like okay this is where i'm going to start figuring out my how to put together my grow um but yeah check out you know there's a lot of good resources i run cocoforcannabis.com so come check us out we've got a lot of information about how to set up your grow and get growing great community of growers out there and we're getting geared up for the new year's grow challenge which starts on january 1st Every single grower is welcome to to participate. It's free to join. Um, We're going to do a seed giveaway here in a few weeks. So everybody that registers before that will be eligible for our seed giveaway. Um, And then the side challenge. So we start growing on January 1st. The side challenge this year is to cut clones. So the first week of February, we're all going to try to cut clones like we were talking about earlier in the show and get clones to root so that's going to be sort of like our our demonstration side challenge what have you there'll be some fun prizes associated with that too so come have fun with us and let's grow together and i will shut up now and go to my corner grow or love everyone cheers doc thank you so much i love uh martial artist 2012 says i'm lost in the weeds and i love it i appreciate that martial artist that's a great way to look at life in general but next up we got brandon rust Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, yeah, you guys should definitely check out the Bokashi Earthworks web uh, website. We have new blogs posted every single day, and also the uh, Bokashi Earthworks Instagram. Uh, we have a lot more information that's really useful, especially for beginners. Um, yep, and then you can find me at uh, Instagram, Brandon. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out. Well, see you guys next week. 
Thank you for joining us, Brandon. Always a pleasure to have you. And next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Yeah, we didn't get to that triploid paper. We'll have to do that next time. But um, I thought that the conversation was so good. There was no need to interrupt. Um, yeah, and uh, maybe we'll go over the light stuff a little bit too. Uh, that would be kind of cool. Maybe I'll look into some of those for us. But I'm Matthew Gates. I talk IPM, uh, integrated pest management. And you can check me out at zenthanol.com for inquiries. And you can also find my social media stuff on Instagram at SyncAngel and on YouTube, Zenthanol. Thank you so much for joining. And last and certainly not least of our regular panelists this evening is the American Wire. As always, thanks for your hosting abilities. It's always appreciated. Great to see all the panel, everyone in chat. I am the American One on YouTube and the American One underscore with the underscore Keens on the IG. Most of you people know me. And if you want to hit me up on the IG, that's the easiest spot. And um, yeah, it was really interesting tonight. A lot of different varied conversations. And one thing about the cannabis cultivation, everyone seems to want to do better. And I guess there's other industries that I'm not following. But yeah, we're pretty intense on keeping up with the latest and the greatest. And part of that is marketing. And I'm sure there's that in other uh, industries as well. But I like that there's always something new. You know, it's not always the same old, same old. So yeah, it was great. So great to be here. Great to see everyone. Thanks for hanging out with us, everyone in chat. We'll see you next week. I think uh, there's times where there it feels like keeping up with the Joneses, but at the same time, technology does get better, uh, you know, from cars to watches to phones, technology just generally across the board. Uh, not always. And sometimes we do backslide, but uh, generally I think we move in the right direction. And it's really nice to have shows like these and, and other spaces, people reviewing different technologies and, and things that you might use to get an idea of how it might perform for you. So thank you all for tuning in and getting a little bit of our opinions for the last few hours. I know we're running about five minutes over, but I do plan to do another show similar to this, kind of continuing where we left off. I kind of listen back to the previous episode and see things that we might have missed on. I love these types of shows where we just really get into the weeds, talking about growing, talking about all the different stuff, the topics that growers are really going to face and, and deal with. Uh, I love to see passionate new growers getting started and I, I am shipping seeds off to growers in Ohio left and right. So I'm going to be excited to see them getting them and hopefully popping and growing them because you have the right now, you can legally do it. You can make yourself a little grow Instagram and start messaging us and showing us pictures and being part of the community because uh, it's, it's definitely one of the more positive ones. And whether it's uh, Instagram or Cocoa for Cannabis, there's 50,000 people over there growing awesome plants and it's just important to involve yourself, I think, be part of the community because it's a lot better than doing it alone. A lot of us, um, we might have a lone wolf mentality and think that, you know, being independent is something that you gain from growing cannabis. You gain some independence. And uh, I think that's important as a human to have your independence in that way. But at the same time, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to lean into the community. We're here for you. There's people that have faced those challenges before that are willing to help. And don't be afraid to even if in life, if you're that person who like doesn't do it, uh, try it just, it, it's not going to hurt you. It's going to help you. Trust me. In the long run, it's, uh, advantageous to reach your hand out and admit when maybe you don't know everything. And somebody is often, it could be me. You could be DMing me. I might be able to help you out with something. So feel free. Um, at Jack Greenstock on Instagram, Jack underscore Greenstock is my backup account on Instagram. So if you message me, Jack underscore Greenstock there, I'm sorry if I don't reply immediately, I might see it like a day or a week later. Um, Jack, Underscore Greenstock is my name on Twitter. 
and jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com if you want to email me or you can contact me through my website 50strains.com i've got books and seeds available there if you're interested but we've gone almost uh, seven minutes over so i'll leave it at that and say grows love everybody keep on growing and i uh, hope you have a great week and we'll catch you all